Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, another crazy day. Can't make this stuff up, as they say. This was an ad hoc, hastily arranged meeting. Kathy made me do it. We did one of these a couple of months ago, similar to the Nuremberg trials. We're going to have the Kathy Wood trials. We're going to play the video in a little bit. Her comments today bear some scrutiny. But before we do that, I see we have a lot of friends in the house. Jeff Garbaz is here. He'll be talking. Tom Thornton, hopefully John Roke, uh, Three Aces, a lot of smart people here. And um, I was talking to Tom Thornton yesterday about something and the moral outrage of all the craziness that's going on in markets. And he reminded me of uh, of the famous uh, movie, The Line. Um, you know, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And it's Ed Beal as Tommy explained it to me. So I just want to play this clip because this really captures perfectly the way I'm feeling. I'm just, you know, this this is beyond. This is not a game. This is beyond. Oh, this stock up. This this stock went down. This woman is out and out lying. I don't know if there are any lawyers in the room. I mean, I'm not sure if she's broken any securities laws. I'll defer to somebody else, but I've managed a mutual fund before. and I've managed two hedge funds. And trust me, if you said stuff like this, you'd have compliance in your office so fast it'd make your head spin. The SEC would be up, would be up your backside. Now, let me just play Ed Beal. And again, kudos to Tom Thornton for, for mentioning this. I want to play you this clip from um, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Just hang on. yesterday probably people thought i was off my rocker there's nothing new with that i'm always off my rocker but i was just the moral outrage i mean i want to take people back especially for those younger folks who are in the room that may not be familiar with 
um, what I posted. If you go look at my Twitter feed, it was a play on words. I, I stole, I, I took the words of uh, from, the, from the McCarthy hearings in 1954, I, and I tweeted, "Enough, Kathy, enough." Until this moment, Kathy, I, I think I never really gauged your gauged your lack of good judgment or recklessness. You have you have you you have done enough. Have you no sense of decency? All right. And I urge you to go and read the what I what I what I put in the uh, in my Twitter feed. Basically, uh, 1954. For those of you that uh, aren't familiar with it, you should go and read this. This is one of the most important times in American history, where Senator McCarthy from Wisconsin, and we're not going to hold Garbaz responsible for this, but he can probably speak about it. He was on a witch hunt. Communism was the thing, or fear of communism was the thing in the United States at that time. And so he was conducting witch hunts to, uh, you know, weed out communists, accusing everybody left, right, and center, just gaslighting people that they're communists. And they had hearing after hearing after hearing. It was very high profile. And um, McCarthy basically met his Waterloo. The highlight or low light of the hearing was on June 9th, 1954, and I'm going to just read here a paragraph or two in the middle of the hearing. And by the way, McCarthy was a grandstander. He was a demagogue. It was it was well known. There was one scene where I recall watching this video and reading about it. He got up and in front of the cameras was waving a piece of paper. And he said, I have here in my hands a list of all the card-carrying communists in the United States, or something to that effect. And actually, when you look closely, it wasn't such a list. It was, I think it was the Daily uh, Racing Form or something like that. The guy was just a complete grandstander, a no-good Nick. Anyway, let me just read this to you. The Army hired Boston lawyer Joseph Welsh to make its case. At a session on June 9, 1954, McCarthy charged that one of Welch's attorneys had ties to a communist organization. As an amazed TV audience looked on, Welsh responded with immortal lines that ultimately ended, ended McCarthy's career. Until this moment, Senator, I think I never really gauged your cruelty or your recklessness. When McCarthy tried to continue his attack, Welsh angrily interrupted, Let us not assassinate this lad further, Senator. Have you done enough? Have you no sense of decency? Overnight, McCarthy's immense national popularity evaporated. Censored by his Senate colleagues, ostracized by his party, ignored by the press, McCarthy died three years later, 48 years old and a broken man. All right, so you may think I'm grandstanding. This is a little bit melodramatic, but this is beyond, I, th- I think, Kathy Woods would be reckless or, you know, Sean Freud or any of that kind of stuff. This is outrageous. I don't know how she's not in jail. She has lost more money than any other fund manager in the world for people the last couple of years. Net, net, she has lost billions and billions and billions of dollars for people. And Tom Thornton and, and, and Jeff Garbaz and, and, and John Roke, all my other friends in the room here who I've spoken about this with, you know, it's real simple. I think I think Thornton, while you're waiting to talk, maybe you can pull up the VWAP. Um, you know, if you look at Kathy's returns, they're often referred to as time-weighted. People just look at what she did point to point. But the problem is the money always... Uh, goes in and comes out. It goes in at the top and out at the bottom. So if you actually, everyone, if you if you look at this happened to Fidelity, by the way, it's not it's not unique to Kathy it's Kathy Woods. You know, investors are human. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We all chase. 
And so when you have the siren calls beckoning, and Kathy Wood said, come on in, come on in. Sucking people in, in at the top, my life of times by Kathy Wood is told to Tom Thornton, all right? She's blowing people up. It's outrageous. If it's not illegal, it should be illegal. Now, what's brought this tirade on is, I don't know if some of you saw it, but she appeared um, yesterday. It was on CNBC. She was appearing, I think, at an ETF conference or something like that in New York. And my head just exploded when I when I heard her BS. We did this, um, I know, a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. And again, the reason we're doing this today is because, you know, she just happened to come on again. But I just think this is she's just she's she's just lying flat out, just flat out lying. All right. Um, I want to play a clip here. Um, so while I'm doing that, though, uh, I'd like to uh, start off. We were very fortunate tonight to have both Tom Thornton and Jeff Garbaz in the room. So um, I know Tommy's up on stage. Like Jeff, if you'd like to raise your hand and come up on stage as well, um, that would be fantastic. So, Tommy, while I'm fumbling for the clip here, maybe you could weigh in on um, what you see going on. We'll get to the market more generally. Let's just hold that comment. But I want to first focus on Kathy Woods because I think she's pulling the wool over people's eyes. And, and there was a tr- fabulous, fabulous thread on Twitter last night. I'll find it where it was like a 25 version thread uh, verse thread where this guy really laid it out. Well, how she's destroying people. So Tommy, always good to see you, my friend. Uh, the floor is yours. So if we could just talk about Ms. Woods and what she's doing and, and that'd be great. We go on to the bigger market thoughts later. Tommy, yeah. Just... So, Hey gang. Um, okay. I just got in from um, dinner and uh, George hit me up and said, uh, we're going to talk about Kathy Woods um, Wood. So, Here's the thing. Uh, I, I have no, like, I, I wrote about this today, about her, um, the stuff she's been saying. And I, I actually, I, I, I start. it was called, my note today was called Managing Expectations. And here's a quote. My expectations were reduced to zero when I was 21. Everything since has been a bonus. And that was Stephen Hawking. Now, you just bear with me on this. So she's talking about that her fund, she expects 50% compound annual rate return for the next five years. That's 600%. I'm just spitballing there. You, you know, people with calculators can, you know, tell me what, you know, their HP computers or calculators can tell me what it is, but that's pretty aggressive. And if George Noble, the find fund or the, fine fund manager back in the late eighties and nineties was saying that the uh, fund that he ran for fidelity was going to do that. Uh, I think he'd get a call from the compliance manager and say, George, what the fuck were you thinking? You cannot say something like that. That is going to get us in trouble. Now that's the fact you cannot say that some, your fund is going to, do what it's going to do because first of all um managing expectations for a fund is essential and if she says that and somebody puts their money in or a lot of people put their money in a lot of money 
and it doesn't come true, there could be a class action suit if things go awry. And she can claim, oh, well, the market or Elon Musk didn't, you know, tell the truth, whatever. But the fact is, she's so aggressive in what she has. Her model is aggressive as far as coming out and saying, oh, my price targets on this or this or this. Now, let's just remember, she's got a, she, you know, on my note today on the bottom, if anybody got to it, if anybody read it, um, a couple of you have, I bet. But she basically was um, at a Bitcoin conference and she said Bitcoin to a million dollars by 2030. And she laid out her thoughts on Bitcoin, um, saying that adding those that get in now will have a, quote, very nice ride. Well, no shit. A very nice ride, of course. Um, But there's no, you know caveats in that in where she says you know this you know there's risks involved or anything like that and that's the problem with this market right now nobody sees any risk and so the the problem i have really with with her and i i was asked that i was just at the uh, real vision macro experience conference which was really fun i had a great time i bought drinks for the entire bar at the last night i don't remember the last half hour um buying drinks with japanese whiskey can get expensive pro tip right there but anyway uh i was asked you know about kathy wood and someone said you know do you think it's people are dunking on her because she's a woman and i said no it's because she's employing the same scammy hyper uh bullshit uh price targets that Garrett Van Wagener did, Kevin Landis did in the tech bubble. These guys were sucking in money left and right, and their funds blew up and were down 90% when it was all said and done. And crazy as, as it seems, they're still in business. Okay, fine. I give them that. But here's the big problem I have right now with what she's doing. She has no humility at all. Zero. I, I, when I screw up and I do often, I'll be the first one to jump on the sword and say, yep, wrong. Uh, sorry. It happens. And I'll move on. And it's, if I was running a fund and if George was running his fund and he was wrong, the first thing you do is you explain to your investors I've been wrong. My models haven't worked. I've been in illiquid stuff. It's devastating. It hurts. And we're going to forge ahead with a bit more conservative approach. No, she doesn't do that. She is doubling down every opportunity she can. She's calling her stocks value stocks, which I'm sorry, those aren't value stocks, Kathy. They don't make freaking money. Sorry, George, I'm starting to like take on your persona here. Uh, and by the way, the Howard Beale of Network, I think, is absolutely perfect for George. Uh, and that was a great clip, George. But the bottom line is she would do herself an enormous amount of justice owning a loss. Uh, when, when somebody is wrong on Wall Street, they get chastised hard times. 
big time. Okay. It, it just, you said this would happen and it didn't happen. All right. I know I was wrong. There's that way. Or we're downgrading at the lows uh, because the story changed. She's going to downgrade at the lows because the story changes and blame the market and blame everything else for her bad call. And that's my big problem. If she wants to come on here and say, look, it's been a very difficult market. I'm caught in a lot of illiquid things. I'm sorry. And I didn't anticipate this type of pullback. Yeah. Okay. Fine. You, you earn some credibility and credibility by being wrong goes a long way with me and many other people on wall street, because if you just keep doubling down like she has and saying all the stuff that she's saying to try and, and by the way, money keeps coming into her ETFs. I, I don't know why, but money keeps coming in, even though it's been a complete disaster. Tommy, Tommy, you hit the nail on the head. That was beautiful. Um, and your bedside manner is much better than mine. As we know, uh, I tend to get a little bit excited. So much better coming from you than somebody else than myself. I, I want to say a couple things, and then we're going to play a clip. As Michael Guyad says, and he's a must follow, there are no gurus. There are only cycles. And Tom, I was so glad you mentioned some of the heroes of yesteryear that I often mention. Ryan Jacob of the Munder Net Net Fund, Alberto Villar, who ultimately went to prison. Kevin Landis, Garrett Von Wagner. There's nothing new under the sun. And I really hope John Roke, he's up on stage, he'll speak to this as well. Um, we've seen this movie before. And we know how it ends. So, again, there are no gurus. There are only cycles. One, Hey, hey George, just one you, thing. You, go ahead. Go ahead. One thing. You know, the humility aspect that's lacking here is really astounding and that 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 really shocks me that she can't come on and say man this has been such a difficult time our firm is is you know we're pulling together we're, we're gonna forge ahead we're gonna be a bit more conservative you know the things that you should say she hasn't said 100%, so, so so all the criticism against let's just say her firm and I, I it's and believe me this is not a gender thing or anything like that i have three daughters i'm super proud of all my girls and i i'm a big big believer in i love to see women investors it's a big deal for me many of them are less emotional than men but that's another topic, George. We'll go there another time. Just, but the fact is, she invites the criticism and the 100%, scoring. Tommy, 100%. Let me interrupt you. So, you know, in, in, if you go back to ancient Greece, go to the ancient Greeks, hubris was considered to be amongst the biggest of sins. You know, it's the old, the bigger they come, the harder they fall. So, Tommy, you put your finger on it. It's, it's a complete lack of humility. And I don't know if she's just so unaware, she's desperate, she's possessed. She doesn't even realize what she said. I don't really know. I'd like to point out something to people, which is lost, I think, on most. 
and you could really catch her. She's in such a she's in such a liar. If you go back a year ago to February of 2021 when she was at her zenith, she says we expected, and someone who has a calculator can do this. I did this. I did this three months ago. I did it again this morning. I have the numbers to hand, but you get the point. At that point, she said we expect our stocks to return 15% a year for the next five years. Okay. So using the rule of 70, um, you know, 15% take you four and a half years to double. Okay. So that means if you have a hundred bucks, it'll be 200 bucks and it makes it as simple as possible. You have 200 bucks, four and a half years from now. Okay. Start with a hundred. It's going to become 200. Fine. Then take it down 60%. So now we've got 40. The terminal value is still 200. So it's a five-bagger, 40 to 200. You can work out what the numbers are, all right? It's a four-bagger. The thing is, you plug in 50% like she's saying, it gets you a 750% return. She's just out and out lying. She's just literally making stuff up and throwing it against the wall, literally. Hey, George. Yeah, George, George. Okay, can so I, for yeah. a lot no, of no, us. Hold on. Wait, Tommy, okay. hold on. Three aces, I want to recognize you, but please keep it brief. Yeah, all I wanted to do is just comment and hi, guys, uh, and comment on Tommy's statement about her lack of humility. Uh, George, you had Peter Outwater on as a guest once, and he has an entire body of, 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 of writing on the exact thing that's going on here. It's a con, right? And so I just wanted to point out that one of your guests, maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, that he wrote a book. I mean, he's on Twitter, Peter underscore Atwater. He talks all about this. I don't want to steal the whole time here, but anybody, you yeah. know, maybe George have him back or something. Yeah, yeah three aces. He, he nailed it. Right? Yeah, no, totally. Thank you for that, three aces. We will have him back. He's a great guy. He's a friend of this room, and he talks. He talks exactly what you're speaking about. And three aces. If while Tommy's talking, I mean, there was a thread last night. Maybe you can throw it up in the nest because I'm not good at doing this. Someone put out a brilliant thread. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to play a clip of Kathy in a second. But you can someone can find this and throw it up in the nest. There was a brilliant thread. It was like 25 verses. It was written by, I think, uh, I don't know who it was. It was talking about how uh, Kathy's gone around. All these high net worth individuals are getting blown up, and they have no idea what's going on. I mean, it is scandalous. Hey, so George. Anyway, George, yeah. it's Jeff. I got the thread. You want me to read a little bit of it? No, no Jeff. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on, Jeff. Hold on. Hold on. Before we do that. Before we do that, Jeff, I want to play the four-minute clip from CNBC. Okay. In the meantime, if you can throw it up on the nest or send it to – I don't know how to do this. Send it to Three Aces or somebody to put it up on the nest so people can read it. Or, 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 or you know what? Jeff, retweet it. Jeff, retweet it. I'll go to your timeline and put it in there. Yeah, okay. that would be great because it's a brilliant, brilliant thread. So what I want to do right now is I want to play – it's four minutes – I will interrupt. It's sort of like the Nuremberg trials, but let's just hear it in Kathy's words. So this doesn't become, you know, a bunch of haters just hating on her, dunking on her. So just hang on. Let me just play this. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. By the way, Peter DiCaprio is a friend of mine. George, if you want to have him on as a host, I can easily organize that. The, the tweet that's in the nest that Jeff gave me. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, do you want to speak? Je- Jeff and, and th- Jeff Garbaz, if you're there. If you want to just, you can, while I'm trying to get this audio hooked up, so if you want to just highlight, it's up in the nest now. If Jeff, if you want to highlight some of the, some of the high points, I mean, don't read the whole thing. It's too long, but some of the really scathing things, which are just unbelievable. So, so Jeff, could you just, if you could run with it, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. 
Okay, here it is. Um, it starts off, I've spent the past few weeks in the depressing company of high net worth investors. The experience has been sobering, alarming, uh, comedic, maddening, frustrating, and ultimately cathartic. Here are my summary conclusions. Outfits like CNBC are doing untold damage because they feed a hype cycle that will ultimately prove to be disastrous for retail investors. Retail only cares about performance. It can brag about at cocktail parties. Because of the above, most of you are rooting for these morons to have their lunch handed to them. And when their lunch gets handed to them, I, for one, will be deliriously happy because dot, dot, dot. They absolutely deserve everything coming their way. Just this week, a high net worth investor who brags about his investment acumen said this to me. I check Kathy Wood's market commentary every day, and she thinks dot, 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 dot. Kathy Wood is your portfolio construction uh, resource, question mark. I wanted to shoot myself in the face. Another investor showed me his portfolio, portfolio, Tesla options, GME, AMC, NEO. These options are great. The returns are too good to pass up because they only go one way. He told me he got involved in AMC because everyone he knew was talking about it. Way to go, SEC. I asked him to identify the risk in AMC's business. What do you mean, was the response, with a straight face. I went through comps with him, a basic balance sheet, and cash flow projections. Got the dead trout look. Not a one of these HNW, high net worth, nitwits knew what a gamma squeeze was. Some had never even heard of it. Not a one knew who Bill Wong was or even what the average annualized return of stocks had been since 1999. Zero perspective. Anyway, it goes it goes on and on and on and on. So, um, J- 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 Jeff, as is brilliant, and, and thank you very much for bringing that up, and thank you, Three Aces. All right, so we're going to come back to that in a second, but what I'd like to do right now, I've got the four-minute clip from uh, it's Bob Pisani and CNBC interviewing Kathy Woods at this ETF conference. I will stop. I will stop. It's only four minutes long, so but I want everyone to hear this. You can Kathy Woods in her own words. So here we go. With CIO and one of the most popular, if not controversial, funds in the world right now, and she is with our Bob Pisani now at the ETF conference down in Miami. Bob, take it away. Thank you very much, Scott, and of course, it's good to see you, everybody tuning into the Exchange ETF conference. Kathy, great to see you. It's been a rough 12 months for you, Kathy. You've been down 45% on your flagship ARK Invest, uh, and yet you have a remarkably loyal fan base. You just had a monthly update. Can you explain to the viewers and to your loyal fan base why should they continue to stick with you when you're down 45% on the year? Well, um, I think if we put in perspective what has happened here, um, You'll understand some of uh, the loyalty. First of all, we give our research away, and I think we get it back in terms of, you know, people believe averaging down into a... All right, stop, stop. We give our research away. I can point to any number of serious people who have read her research, myself included. She gives it away. She gives it away for the same reason Tesla gives away their IP. It is worthless. There is no there there. I'm going to call him out by name because he's a friend. Bobby J, serious guy. I remember him telling me four years ago he went to visit ARC because the buzz was starting to see what was going on. 
And it was like it was like a clown show. It's a bunch of kids running around. They're clueless. I'm a former auto analyst. I spent time going through our Tesla earnings models. There's no cash flow statement. Nothing balances. They're literally making shit up and throwing it against the wall. Literally. We live in, there's this great book a couple years ago, Alan Keyes, entitled The Post-Truth Society. People just make shit up. She's totally making shit up. So that's, that, that's personal foul number one. Okay, but I digress. Here we go hours uh, believing that we're on to something some very big exponential growth opportunities but if you look at the last five years uh, and, and we do have a five-year investment time horizon so let's look back and then forward back over the last five years i don't have the exact number but uh, our performance our flagship uh, strategy has compounded at uh, close to a mid-20s annualized rate. And if you look at active management generally out there, I think that only 25% of all active managers in the last 10, 10 years have outperformed. And of the large cap managers, I think it's 11%. So last five years, yes, COVID. From, we got killed going into COVID, and our mantra was innovation solves problems. We started doing a YouTube video from the trough in COVID to the peak. We were up 360%. And at the end, I was saying, keep some powder dry. Now, down this much, uh, we're, we're saying, if you believed that at the peak, when we, we expected our total return for the next five years to be 15% at a compound annual rate, if you believe that then, what has happened since? Prices have come down, but our models actually, our earnings return expectations have actually gone up. So over the next five years, we're expecting, consider the source, it's our research. Our research, I think, is the best in the business, but we're expecting a 50% compound annual. Stop. Consider the source. Okay, so we're going to, I'm George Noble. I may or may not start the Noble ETF sometime in the next few months, okay? I think we're going to make 50% a year. Just me. Consider the source. But we have the best macro research in the business, and I got the best technicians, Jeff Garbaz, John Roke, and Tommy Thornton helping me, and I'm optimistic. I believe we're going to make 50% a year. The cops would be the cops would would, would would be breaking the doors down of my house before I could finish the Twitter space. Are you fucking nuts? Let me keep going. Earnings returns may not be the most important thing to you right now. It may be the path of interest rates. You were here a little while ago. You said raising interest rates might be a mistake. We had Bill Dudley, the former head of the New York Fed, last week said to get inflation under control, the Fed will need to push bond yields higher and stock prices down. They seem determined. What does this mean for the future of your portfolio? Well, it's interesting. I think the bond market is already sending off some signals. The yield curve, twos to tens, uh, inverted last week. That usually means that growth and or inflation are going to disappoint or slow down relative to expectations. Stop. Okay, so now she's a yield curve expert. The whale oil queen who was calling for $12 oil. That oil peaked in 2019, and demand will never come to that level. She's now pontificating about the slope of the yield curve. Are you kidding me? 
And you watch the contortion. She waves her hands. I think she just learned the phrase like a week ago. So sometimes she can fake it when she's on TV. This is like unbelievable. But the problem is she's preying on the ignorance and the naivete of the momentum crowd, the FOMO crowd. She is Garrett Von Wagener. She is Kevin Landis. She is Alberto Villar. But she's taking it to a whole nother level. Not even those guys had the chutzpah. For those of you whose Yiddish isn't that good, audacity to spew this type of garbage. I've only got one more minute, and then I'm going to open it back up to you, Tommy and Jeff, and I want John Rook to speak as well. The bond market itself, even though it's backed up, the bond market to this day does not believe that inflation is baked in the cake. It is interpreting what has happened as a, a, a series of supply shocks, starting with COVID, all the supply chain problems, which I never would have expected to last this long. And now we have Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, food, energy. Uh, we've got labor shortages. Well, I'm going to say the same thing that we said at, during the depths of COVID. Innovation solves problems. We have more problems now. And I think our ilk of stock is going to uh, is going to do very well if interest rates, even if interest rates back up a bit more. And the reason I say that is we do believe cyclical inflation is near a peak. If you look at last year, this time, uh, April uh, delivered a 0.9% CPI read. Okay, so that's our comparison. And now we're seeing used car prices fall. I think energy even is down month to month. So I think we're starting to see cyclical turn down. Ah, so not only is she an oil, oil economist, has a $12 forecast working out for you, Kathy. She's also the used car queen. If I hear one more idiot talk about how used car prices, all the CPI, all the inflation, all about used car prices. Are you fucking kidding me? I called these people out a year ago. Have they no shame? Have they no decency? All right, enough. I got to calm down and take my meds. So, um, John Roke, before Tommy, before you speak, John Roke, did you want to say anything? Uh, if not, John, John, are you there? Hi, George. Um, I just, you know, uh, I'm listening to you and Tom Thornton and some of the other comments, and I just think if that's Kathy's bet, we probably want to take the under. J- John, John, like, 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 like Tommy Thornton was, was, was pointing out, the fund inflows, she's still got like $50 billion under management or something like that. John, these are not things that you see at the bottom, no? I mean, people should be asking, you know, people still, the, the, the dream is alive. You got to believe. This is like the 69 Mets. Well, know. I mean, the, the, the 69 Mets were different. They won, you know. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, through, through, so if you go from February 11th, the week ending February 11th to the week ending March 18th, that was six weeks in a row. There were positive fund flows into ARC. And then you've had from March 25th through the end of the week of April 8th, there have been three weeks in a row of outflows. You know, so I, I think when there's kind of a cult following or cult belief, it's, it's hard to, uh, to change people's opinions. And um, I was actually uh, down at Georgetown yesterday um, speaking to a group of students, and you did it, George, I guess a week before I did. And I was asked about ARC, and I said, I-, I don't know what ARC is going to do, but if ARC was a bubble and the stocks within ARC were a bubble, then bubbles pop when they go down 80 to 90% from their peak. That's what the history books show. 
Well said. And John, just one thing before we go any further, could you just recite? Um, I have the numbers to hand, but because I want to stay on Kathy Wood, but just as long as people are listening, and I don't know how long you can stay with us. But this counter turn rally that we just saw, and again, I'm going to call out Tommy Thornton for. I was pissed when he made the call. He was so right. I hope he took his profits, but he, he called it around, you know, March 11th, whenever it was. I hated when he made the call, but give credit where it's due. So, John, you'd spoken in the past. You've got that chart in your deck, which I believe, could you just recite the stats? It's something like when the market went down 80% from 2000 to 2020, the number of days, the percentage of days the market was up, and then the number of counter trend rallies. I think that'd be very helpful for the listeners. Okay. All right. I'm going to pull up the data so that I could say it um, uh, accurately. So, here goes. Over 649 days from NASDAQ's March 10th of 2000 peak through the October 10th, 2002 low, despite the fact that NASDAQ was down 80% from peak to trough, it rallied 305 of those 649 days. So that was 47% of the time. It was nearly a coin flip for each day. So bear markets are tough to trade. And despite the fact that it went down 80%, which was a bubble breaking, right? That's kind of the definition. You go down 80 to 90%. Despite the fact that the bubble was burst, you know, nearly half of the time you had an up day for NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. And so you've had, you had, you know, 15 big rallies. The average rally lasted 17 days and you got 23%. The median rally lasted nine days and you got 20%. The minimum rally was two days where you got 11%. And then the maximum rally was from September 21st, 2001 through January 9th, 2002. It was 75 days and 51%. But you were down a lot from the high to get a 51% rally. John, more more importantly, well, you know, the future is unknowable. The rally we've seen so far, is it fair to say, is totally in the last few weeks, is totally within the context of the types of rallies we saw in the 2000-2002 bear market. I think it is. Um, I, I think that it was a bear market rally. It was uh, it had a very exclusive guest list. I don't think it was expansive. Uh, the number of new highs didn't grow. Um, you know, so I, I think it's very difficult to, to to characterize it as anything but. And the leadership actually stayed the leadership. The leadership going into the um, into the bear market low was natural resources and natural resources are, are still the leadership. So. That's encouraging to me that it stayed the leadership even through the rally. So that's where I want to be associated with. And I think that, um, you know, in, in traditional bear markets, 80 percent of the stocks go down, 20 percent of the stocks go up. And I want to be associated with the natural resources because they're in, in a bull market. That's awesome, John. Thank you for that. Please stay with us. I want to bring everyone else into the room and stay as long as you can. So I'd like to go back to Tommy. He had something to say. And then and then Jeff, because Jeff has a lot of data he wants to share with us. So. Uh, Tommy, you're there. The floor is yours, Tommy. Yeah. Um, hey, John. How John Roke, uh, by the way, is one of my favorite people. And I met him when I was working at a hedge fund in L.A. when I lived there. And the coolest thing was, I mean, we had all these sell side people take us out to sushi and all that garbage. But John's like, hey, when I come to town, I want to go to a you know baseball game so we went to dodger stadium and that was like so one of the coolest things um and i absolutely need to catch up more with john um you know the the, john's absolutely right on you know there are bear market rallies and and listen arc's gonna rally there's gonna be big you know pops in this thing 
and then it's gonna like fade and oops that's you know that's what what happens but i think what i what i really anticipate is that her top holding the one that got her to the party and got her the recognition tesla is going to be the stock that is the nail in the coffin for her and 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 again i look i I, i'd rather her come on and say you know what it's been a really tough time we're gonna you know forge ahead with um the best we can conservatively managing this time but no she's not going to do that and and those comments that you just sent george were just almost shocking i don't i don't listen to cnbc which if you guys want to just do a little something turn it off watch bloomberg watch something else listen to music while you're trading or doing your research but it's just obscene that she just keeps doubling down and that to me is the most troubling thing and you know what there's all these people in these cycles and um michael guyed is absolutely right with you know it's 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 all about cycles and people and 100 percent, 100 percent, tommy all right mr garbaz um jeff is for those of you that haven't heard him speak before Jeff it works in quantitative for quantitative, quantitative partners of uh, Phil Erlanger. He's the preeminent expert on uh, short selling and keeps better records of short interest uh, data and is able to track flows and where crowded shorts, not crowded shorts, et cetera, et cetera. And I was speaking to Jeff briefly before we started this room, and he was going to come up with some of the data on the short positions of the arc components. And, and Jeff, I think a good place to start is Tesla, because I think Tommy's totally right. And, and John, John Roke has also spoken about that. That is the mother load. Um, if that goes down, Katie bar the door. So Jeff, maybe you want to just review, you know, some of her bigger positions, maybe starting with Tesla and, and, and what's it look like to you? Jeff, the floor is yours. Jeff, are you there? I don't know where you went. Well, I'm back. I'm back. Sorry. It keeps uh, muting me. Um, so we put out a email every weekend where we look at all the holdings in ARC Innovation, ARC Next Generation, ARC Genomic, and ARC uh, FinTech. And so I want to start there because this is really interesting. The most widely held stock in there right now is P-A-T-H. Okay. Path. I don't know if anyone uh, knows this name or not. Hey, Jeff, Jeff, this is in the in the fintech fund. Path. I've never heard of it. Go on. Path. Path is the name of the company is UE Path, and it's in every fund that she owns. And it's um, so we like to look at what's held in all of her funds the most. So Path, which is basically at a fifty-two week low now, um, Teladoc, which is basically there at a fifty-two week low. Coin is held in three of the funds. DraftKings is held in three of the funds. Um, Robinhood is held in three of the funds. Shop is held in three. Square is held in three, which is now Block. Twilio is held in three. And SE is held in three as well. What, what to me, George, the most telling thing about all these, let's just look at them. Um, 
most of them actually don't have a lot of shorts in them. Um, Path does. Path, they're going to take it down to like its lows. Its short interest is 4.19 days, and the short intensity is 89%. For people that don't know, the first thing we do to come up with a short intensity is we look at the range of the short ratio historically over time. Um, this thing, once it breaks 20, George, I don't know. I don't know where it's going. She's going to have to probably dump that. Um, Teladoc, this is what I find interesting, is now at 43%. Still a decent short ratio um, in that. Coin is horrible as well. But the shorts are like pressing on a bunch of these names. Coin is at 77%, only 1.2 days to cover because Coin just has so much volume that it trades every single day. Um, DraftKings, the shorts have kind of given up here, which makes it now a long squeeze. For people that don't know, a long squeeze is a stock that is weak technically and no one is short. So as longs go to sell um, and there's no shorts covering, it just continues to drop. And if you look at DraftKings, I use DraftKings every week. I play it. I'm, a, I'm an addict to DraftKings golf. Um, but once it breaks $15, it's, it's going to be a free fall on, uh, on that one. Uh, hey, the hey, next- Jeff, let me interrupt for a second. I don't want to get in trouble here because, well, actually, you know what? Do your own advice. I, I, I will name names. I will name names, okay? Oh, yeah. I'm name, I'm, no, I'm going to name names. I'm going to name names fundamentally, okay? I usually yeah. don't do this, Okay. Fully, every other name you've mentioned, I've either been short or am short. For Correct. Instance, I think Coinbase, I can tell you a fundamental story why Coinbase is going to get cut in half from here. Yeah. No question. All right. You go look at, and if anyone wants to know the bear case, go look at Jim Chanos' feet. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. let's, let's, that is let's... a fucking disaster. Okay. What's really interesting, Jeff, and I don't know if you slice the deck this way, but I'll send you the list. But. One of the things I like to do is is I don't like look at our biggest positions. People say, oh, well, you know, Tesla's 9% of our fund or whatever. You should short that. No, 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 no. What I like to do is you look at the stocks. Where is she the biggest holder of? So as an example, let's pull up, Jeff. Uh, let's pull up. Um, can you pull up uh, NTLA, Nancy, Tom, Larry, Apple, Intelia Therapeutics? What does that look like, please? NTLA. Um, it would be a long squeeze, except for the fact that the short intensity is just a little too high. It's at 48%. It's got to be a little bit lower. But okay. the, tech, the tech rank is at 10%. Okay. The ratio is at four, four days to cover. Okay. So right, Let's play a little word association, and then I'm going to give you the punchline. Could you please pull up Beam Therapeutics, B-E-A-M, Boy, Edward, Apple, Mary, B-E-A-M? How does that look? Um... Tech rank at ten percent, short intensity at ninety-seven percent, and uh, ten point eight nine days to cover. Okay. How about Pager Duty PD, Paul Dog PD, forty-two percent intensity, but it's down from a hundred back in December, and uh, the short ratio is five point six nine days to cover. All right. And the last one is uh, NVTA Nancy Victor Tom Apple NVTA. Uh, tech rank of 10%, uh, short intensity of 29, 6.75 days. Okay. To okay so, so that'd be a long squeeze, right? Uh, no, just because the short ratio is a little too high. All right, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's in purgatory. It's in purgatory. Okay. okay. So let me ask you a question. The three or four names I threw at you, would you remote, would you remotely consider buying any of those? 
No. As a matter okay. of fact, when, let me just give you this. This is this this will be interesting to you. Right now, there through last weekend, there were thirty five names in Arch K. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And and uh, tech rank of we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Sixty percent or better. Uh, Tesla was at one hundred percent then. Um, CRISPR was at sixty. Pager duty was at eighty, which is now down. Um, SGFY was at 70 and the last one was TWOU was at 60. Everything else was a, an absolute, almost every name, um, has a tech rank of 10%. Okay. Uh, 10% is the worst. A hundred percent would be the best. That's fabulous. All right. So you could say in a bottom up basis, I mean, it's one thing if we say, you know, Sharon Freud, really Kathy Wood, we're misogynist, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at her portfolio from a bottom-up basis, you're telling me it's a pile of dreck. Is that is that I hear you correctly? Um, so let's break out the threes and fours. So the stuff that's weak technically, um, the fours are weak technically with no one short. And there are eight names of those. And then where the shorts are making money and they're correct, there are nine of those. So okay. that's pretty, right. pretty telling. Yep. Both, okay. both, both of them are pretty damning. Yeah, and so what the point I'm trying to make here the names I threw at you for everyone in the room to understand why am I throwing those names up there? Again, those names are not her biggest positions. Tesla's like her biggest or second biggest position. Those are the names where she owns, like, just RK alone, she owns 8 or 9% of those companies. It doesn't even include the other ones, okay? So the point is, you know, if you have a company where, let's say she owns 12% of it, and there's only a 75% float, she owns, you know, in that scenario, 16% of the floating shares. As Tommy Taylor, uh, you know, favorite trader for the Bass Brothers back in the 80s once said, never believe a chart you drew yourself. It's cash flow investing 101. Okay, she drove it up. Yeah. And these are the things that are less liquid. There's no exit door. This yeah, you're missing, you're missing, you're missing a really go great one. Go, go um, for it. Zoom. Zoom right now is a tech rank of 20%. Short intensity is 55, so it's not quite a long squeeze, but the short ratio is only 2.69 days. Right, and uh, Okay, okay, okay. So the point is, the point is... Long squeeze. Yeah, okay. And this is like, if you guys remember 15 years ago, uh, people love my sort of graphic metaphors or whatever. There was that horrible uh, fire in that nightclub in Rhode Island. It was a flash fire. And like 200 people got incinerated because they all tried to get out the door at the same time. Nobody could get out, okay? She's got a portfolio full of that crap. Well, George, today you and I were talking about we, we put out a screen every week and I'm kind of finished with this because we've we, we've we've made the point on what's what's in her portfolios. But yeah. uh, you and you and I were talking today about, um, you know, the screen we do every week and um, the screen's week was made today by Marriott. And uh, look at look at the stock today it was up over seven percent. And yep. the deal is, and it wasn't even on really news for them. It was news, and Tom Thornton and I were talking about this. It was on Delta, you know, coming through saying, oh, we've never had such orders, blah, blah, blah. So then people took it higher. But it didn't go up on much more than its average volume over the last 21 days. And the, the point, to your point is, like, caught in the, uh, in, in the white, whatever it was called, bar in Rhode Island where no one could get out. It's the same thing now. Uh, buy side traders are having the worst time in the world because they want to go and sell anything. They're they're going to take a stock down by X, or if they want to buy it, they're going to take it up because there's just there's a lack of liquidity um, in this market. Hundred percent, brilliant. And, 
and, and we have we have an indicator. It's called uh, Erlanger Volume Swing, and we do it on the market as well. And a week ago, while we were kind of hanging in there before we fell apart, it was at plus five, and now we're now we're negative again. But to John Roke's point, I'll, I'll I'll kind of share like this week. It's really this has become a very interesting week all of a sudden because on Monday and Tuesday stocks struggled. Um, if we look at the short squeezes for the week, they were down. 1.14 after Monday, Tuesday they went to down one uh, down 0.39, and today they were up for for the week. Now they're up 1.69, so they're up 2.08 percent today. If I look at the threes where the uh, the shorts had been making money, they came into today with a loss, i.e. they were making money 43 basis points, and now their names are up 2.23. So they had a reversal today of 2.66%. And like these one day moves, and we've had a bunch of them since um, January kind of onward, they, they can crush uh, hedge funds and there's no way they can move in such a quick period of time, which I think is the, the single biggest reason why they've all taken down their, uh, their gross to such a large degree. Um, and that's, that's having an impact on liquidity because, the traders every day are not, you know, Fidelity and uh, Jenison and Oppenheimer and blah, blah, blah. It's the hedge guys. So so they've disappeared. That's the really big story that's being missed here. That's a great point, Jeff. So just, just stay right there. I want to bring some others into the conversation. I'm sure there'll be some questions for you. Hey, so, so, so just real quickly, yeah. I'm going to keep listening, but I'm going to be in the car because I'm I'm All going right. to go pick up Mark Spitz from swim practice. Okay, by the way, so. by the way, by the way. Okay, okay. And now I'm going to embarrass you. Okay. So everyone needs to know, and Jeff, you got to put in a, a plug. For you. Jeff is too modest, so I'm going to shill for you. So okay. Jeff's son is like one of the best swimmers in the entire state of Wisconsin, nationally ranked, blah, blah, blah. So Jeff, could you just sort of give sort of like a 60-second uh, summary on just what it <laughs> is? On, on the what? On the what? Yeah, just talk about – just tell – People don't. I didn't. I was shocked when you told me this. Can you just share with this is real life. This what people need to hear these stories. Can you just tell the room just a couple, a good minute or two about your son and his swimming achievements? Yeah. So he's pretty much like George said in Wisconsin. He's number one in everything, but nationally he's he's ranked anywhere between ten and and thirty in the uh, in the country. And uh, he just got swimming done swimming a couple of weeks ago at a national meet in uh, Florida. And th- the way you swim is you swim like eight and under, ten and under, twelve and under. He just turned 12, so he's got a whole nother year there. And uh, he got two firsts, two seconds, a third, a fourth, a fifth, and sixth. And the best, the best story I can tell about him is he got two eighth-place finishes, but those were making final heats. And after his 100 fly, which is one of his best strokes, he came up to me and he had a big smile on his face, which two years ago, that wouldn't have happened. He would have been pissed off beyond belief. And he, uh, and he looked at me. And he said, well, I guess that didn't work. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was experimenting. And I thought, wow, this is really, this is quite a breakthrough because he's in one of the biggest meets of his life and he was experimenting. And I said, well, why did you do it? And he said, that was the only way I could win the race. So to me, that actually is more important than him winning races. The fact that he's got that attitude where he's just, he's just having a blast and enjoying it. Jeff, that's phenomenal. So um, if you can listen from the car, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's move on. 
I'd like to get – we're going to do Storm and then my good friend Guy Serendulo and then Jackson. So, Storm, the floor is yours. What's up, Storm? Hey, thank you. I want to be brief, but I, I just can't believe how amazed I am. Like, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I had a chance to meet Raymond James once. And, you know, thinking about this, I've never really participated in the community and contributed in a real nice, like, way. But I took investment management at UNC, and I didn't finish school. But I love the finance market. I'm very passionate about it. And what I love most is you get into these spaces, and my buddy, you know, he he worked at Morgan Stanley. I've been to Manhattan, almost made the trip to come up there. And they would trade options on Alibaba. But, I mean, what you guys are articulating and conveying, I mean, long-term capital management in the 90s, I'm blown away. I'm going to drop down, Mr. Noble. Thank you. Uh, what a blessing this space is. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your kind words. You know, we're all just guys just trying to figure it out. And it goes back to what Tommy Thornton was saying earlier about Kathy Wood, humility. I think everyone in this room has been at it long enough. They've gotten run over. We all get humbled. And we're all just trying to help each other. And, uh, you know, the asshole factor in this room is zero, well, except for me. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, Guy, my good friend Guy, how are you, sir? What's on your mind? Hey, George. Hi. Oh, I'm doing well and I uh, hope the same with you. I came late to the space, but when I heard you talking about um, Kathy Wood and ARC and all that, it reminded me of uh, a study that I did when I worked at Fidelity, our Aldemarda, um, that we both worked at. But back in the 90s, we were, we were doing a study looking at the aftermath of the 29 peak and into, into, the, into the 30s. So, again, we had the data that was one of the blessings of working in a place like that. We had a lot of data, a lot of computing power. And it really reminds me of the study back then because when you get these parabolas, the aftermath is that you the decline in a stock was like north of 80%, 85% of the stocks after the 29 peak into the 32 low. They retraced the whole decline the whole advance that started the parabola. So if you look at ARC now, and I was just doing some measurements in terms of the potential downside of where the parabola started, there's another plus 30% decline to go. And I think if you want to look at some textbook uh, parabolas and bus, um, Zoom, which was mentioned earlier, is a great example of one, down 80% off the peak. But also look at Roku and Peloton. That Those are poster childs of what we saw in and that 29 advance into the 32 decline. So, you know, those Peloton down about 85% from the, the high, Roku about 75%. That's, I hate to use the word typical, but you no, know, this, like my old, my old boss that I started this, you know, business back uh, in 86, 87 with, you know, Walter Stone, he said to me, guy, the market is a one act play. It's the same storyline, just change the characters. So what we're seeing now has happened in the past. And um, I know we've talked about our, uh, you and I, George, you know, before, but yeah, I think there's more downside and, you know, it could be north of 30% from here, but um, it's, it's happened before. And we have some post the trial stocks that have done this, uh, that are doing it now. So it so, is what I mean, it is. I really appreciate that. Just quickly. And we'll, and we'll come back to you, but just quick, just as long as you're up on stage, I mean, you and I talked, and I know you sent a couple of pieces out recently. Without getting into particular names, I mean, this sort of counter trend rally that we had that I think you caught, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you called, you were going back to this beginning of the week, you were calling it for the market to head down. So 
again, yeah. not right here, right now. We don't want to micromanage the thing, but whereas you had this incredible character and ride that went on for, you know, a couple of weeks, what, you know, which way is the wind blowing right now? Do you think the path of least resistance is, is down on, on a lot of the speculative merchandise? What, what's your point oh. right here? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, study, things that I, I, again, George, you know, working where we worked at before we, we've been blessed with the opportunity to, to pay people to learn research coming from different aspects. Um, so I had a, a really another mentor uh, that's retired, but basically some of the stuff that we've looked at, uh, you know, when, when you're in a, when you're in a, a strong decline, the counter trend rallies tends to be two to three days in duration, maybe four. So anything under that window, which I think, you know, we're going to be in for a while. It just, it just smells of a bear market rally. So, you know, in a, well, the, my point is in a strong, in the strong decline, your counter trend rallies tend to be about three to four days in duration. You can extend up to seven. So what I'm seeing now myself is it's, it's typical. I think it's short. It is short covering to a certain extent. And I think Gabaz does a great job at, um, at looking at that data. And I've known Jeff for 20 plus years. Um, so yeah, I think the structure in a lot of these stocks are broken. Yeah. We're starting to get some flattening of 50 day averages in a lot of stocks. But by the time you start to base, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, we're ripe for a big advance. For me, I think we're more in a phase of, you know, what comes out of the ground is what you want to be long, which is stuff I've been on since, you know, it's been over a year and a half, energy, materials, and a lot of this tech uh, consumer related, which is going to really hurt consumer with everything going up in price, Winnebago's, Thor's, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, those things are bear market rallies, and uh, I don't trust it. Yeah, one one last thing, uh, uh, guy, and, and please stay up on stage. Yeah, and, and I think you'd be in good company with uh, with, with, with Roke, John Roke. Uh, yeah. What's your take on the gold and silver and the associated stocks, guy? Uh, well, I, I I share with you my stuff, my friend, and I I like that. If I think the the gold itself, it's on the verge of a huge uh advance similar to what we had probably in february of uh of this year but you know even going back longer than that if to me it smells and feels like that you know oh nine advance right and unlike the energy unlike the energy which is maybe you know it's not the first thing on energy i mean we're arguably maybe in the top of the second inning on uh, on the gold and silver no i mean this this thing this thing is on the launch pad no Oh, I think so. I think so. And then the stuff I wrote to clients over the last number of months is, you know, Newman would have to be at the, at the top of the list only because, you know, working at these big shops where they're managing a lot of money, if they're going to get interested in gold, it's not for a lot of PMs. Sure. They're going to they're gonna go to the most liquid big cap name and Newmont will be, you know, top of the list. Then you have your barracks of the world. Right. Be number two. So, yeah, no, I think it's uh, I think it's going to have legs. Silver has the same thing. And um, yeah, no, I'm. I'm that, that's great. And, 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 and by the way, John Rook, I don't know if you're still there. Or you're watching uh, this, uh, a game, but 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 John, you and I talk. Maybe just briefly give give the room just a sense of where because I know you're you're big on you're big on bang and and, and all the stuff. You and I we're like, we're like brothers, but maybe just for those aren't familiar, like like just your take on resources and just differentiated between energy based metals and precious metals. Okay, um, so I, I think that um, institutional investors don't have enough in the way of positions for these stocks um, in the natural resource related area. 
Um, I, I've made six of my own indexes. Um, one is called Bang, which is an homage to Bang, uh, and it's gold stocks. And it's really not that much different from the XAU. So, uh, but my, I have a coal stock index, which is up 90% year to date. Fertilizer, 31%. Iron ore, 28%. Shipping or tankers is up 37 And the uranium index is up 45%. As you guys said earlier, it's Michael Guyad's line. There are no gurus. They're just cycles. So I just happened to catch the cycle right. And then uh, today I sent out uh, a note uh, to clients that was entitled Silverado. And I took a look at the ratio of gold to silver. And I, I only did this going back to uh, the early aughts uh, because I thought that the ratio was most appropriate to show at that point. So right now, roughly, you need about 80 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. And uh, the same number was used um, at, a, at the top of this kind of ratio cycle in O2. Uh, it was 80 ounces. It was 84 ounces in 08. It was 83 ounces in uh, 16. And then it got to 120 ounces almost at the COVID low. And then just after that, you're again at 81 ounces. So let's just say that 80 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold is kind of the top of the range of this ratio. When the, when these race, when the ratio got to that level in the prior five cycles, the line turned down uh, and Silver outperformed gold as follows. In the first cycle, when it turned down after reaching an, uh, at the 80 level, silver was up 203%, gold 71. In the second cycle down after reaching 84, so you needed 84 ounces of silver for one of gold, silver was up 371% and gold up 77%. After the third cycle, when it turned down from 83 ounces, uh, silver was up 37%, gold up 9 um, after it turned down in March of 20, which was an extreme level at 120 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold, silver was up 118 percent, gold 31 percent. And then you had a little turn down from September 20 through February of 2021. Silver was up 17. Gold was up seven. So over this over these cycles, gold is up on average 36 percent. Um, the median is 31. But silver's up on average 149 percent and the median's 118 so I said, um, I'm not interested in selling gold. I'm just interested in buying silver here because silver is in a position where it usually outperforms gold. And it's my experience that when there's a gold bull market, there's a silver bull market. And where there's a gold bull market, the silver bull market is just bigger. So that's where I think we are. I, I think gold's going a lot higher, but I think silver's going to go a lot higher in terms of percentage relative to gold. So I want to own <clears throat> silver here in addition to owning gold, but I'm not selling any gold. That's fabulous, John. Um, one other question. You know, energy had been sort of, is, has been relative strength. It's been great. But today, the XOP or XLE, whatever, they broke out to new local highs. So I know like energy might be, you know, energy's not in the second inning, whether it's in the fifth inning or eighth inning or the Canadian Oil Mafia will tell you it's in the third inning, whatever. Or, you know, energy's off the launch pad, right? It's it's not going to do a McAuliffe uh, rocket blow up thing. It's going to go a lot higher, I believe. I think you believe as well. But just right here, right now, I mean, I, I know I gather you prefer silver to gold. You might prefer both those to energy. But what's your take on, on on the energy equities right here? Do you you think they're good to go still? I still think that I would own them. Uh, I still want to own them. I just you know it's up two hundred. Um, 
So th- this one's not up 200%, but it's, let's just say it's up from, you know, 30 to, to 80. The index is up from 30 to 80. The low is probably around 25. So maybe it is up, you know, 200% from the lows. It, it could probably consolidate here. I would probably think that the performance within the sector gets a little bit more disparate and not as homogeneous and uniform just because we saw are so extended. But, I mean, so far, strength has just uh, begotten more strength. And it's a leader on a relative basis to the uh, to the S&P. What is remarkable to me is that when we get these rallies, which Guy can certainly speak to and, and Tom and some of the other guys, when we've gotten these rallies, you know, it's quick that the investors want to go back to tech. It's not that they're using these rallies to add to existing positions in energy because they believe energy or metals will go higher. Nobody's talking about these items when the market rallies. They go back to the former leadership when the market rallies, which I think is consistent with these items still having more room and suggestive to me that the sentiment is not yet embraced this. I had lunch today with a with a, um, a client who happens to be a natural resource related PM at a pod shop. And his contention before I even asked him was that most PMs on the street do not have uh, positions uh, to have enjoyed what has occurred in the natural resources world. And it's been my line that uh, we've heard a lot that this is a stock picker's market. And you never hear it's a stock picker's market when the market's trending higher. You only hear it's a stock picker's market when people aren't making any money. Yeah. And so no, I think if they were probably, um, you know, more imaginative stock pickers, they probably would have some more representation in natural resources. That's awesome, John. And John, lastly, I got to ask you, well, I have two questions. One, were you able to catch the 10.30 out of Grand Central last night? I made then, the 10.30, thanks. Okay, and, and then two, did you just share with the room, you had the privilege, as I did a week earlier, um, you know, it's up on my feed now. I, I was able to, uh, had the privilege of speaking before the Georgetown uh, Finance Group. How did that go for you? And I'm more interested, you know, AG and George, what were the questions like? And I'm just sort of curious, relative to what your expectations were going in, you know, whether the room was going to be bearish, bullish, they were more sophisticated than you thought because they're a bunch of students. What did you find note? What did you find noteworthy about the dialogue? I thought there were some good questions. I thought uh, a lot of the questions suggested that they were open minded to either learning, you know, perhaps some of the technical stuff with that, which they were probably not familiar with prior and to probably um, engage on some of the I would say uh, not readily accepted ideas that they had probably normally heard before with respect to the way the market behaves when it's in a bear market, which I think it is. And what happens when you're in a commodity bull cycle, which tends to last, which tend to last or have lasted 15 years. So I think they may have heard some things that they probably hadn't heard before. And I think that they were open minded about it. I mean, th- there was clearly some uh, reticence to accept the, the notion that we could be in a commodity bull market and, and tech might not perform as well as it had, because I think many people have made a lot of money with tech, just like they have in the institutional community. And it's really hard for them to believe that stocks that have made them virtual fortunes and the institutional side uh, might not be you know, good enough performers here. And certainly they haven't been good enough performers off of the COVID low as the Bloomberg Commodity Spot Index has beaten both the NASDAQ and the S&P since that time. And I think when you present it as such, then people, you know, are relu- don't want to believe it. But when they sh- when they're shown it, then they have to come to grips with the fact that it is occurring. Thank you, John. And, and you know, to me, it's sort of like 
want to hang on to this deck. People that want to hang on, Jeff Garbaz, please mute your mic. People that want to hang on to the tech or go back to the tech, it's sort of like if you go back to, if you had a breakup with an old girlfriend or a breakup with an old boyfriend and you go back to the relationship, it usually doesn't work out. So it's the second time around is not as good. And invariably, it doesn't work out particularly well. It's just a bad experience. And, you know, you just can't get that that, that, that girl or boy out of your head. And it's time to move on. And, and, and people just having a hard time um, accepting that. I mean, I'm not going to mention names. But I had a conversation with someone at a major firm. They run tens of billions of dollars, if not more. And, you know, he said to me, he was talking about a FANG stock. I'm not going to mention the name. It doesn't matter what the name is. He said to me, George, in the last year, I've sold $2 billion of this FANG stock. And I'm still overweight. I mean, the, the, the sort of Im- embedded positioning and therefore the reluctance of people to give it up. I, I just, it's just remarkable. And I was talking to one guy today. He's been running money for four decades at a major firm in New York. And we we're having a Zoom call with uh, a market analyst who's been in this room. And this fellow is also espousing energy and precious metals and run, don't walk as fast as you can away from technology. And this fellow is in his 70s. He's been running away for four decades, five decades. And he said to me, he's just shaking his head. He goes, they just don't get it. And he said to me, particularly amongst some of the younger folks, and again, I was I have nothing against youth. I wish I was younger. But they have not seen cycles. And his exact words to me were the arrogance. Arrogance. They just don't even want to think about it. They don't even engage in a conversation. It's like they know better. So my sort of visceral reaction to that is they're going to get an education, and they can get it one of two ways, either by reading it in a book or in real life, you know, by experience. And, and, and Mr. Mar- the, exp- the, the education they get from Mr. Market is going to be rather expensive. So I don't know. I mean, John, it kind of dovetails, it sounds like, some of the conversations you're having with some, with some of the buy-side folks. They just don't want to give it up. Well, and, and, and it's kind of understandable, right? I mean, you know, you, you've won for so long with, with a particular modus operandi. I mean, you know, I, I would guess that after a three-year period, then, you know, numbers start to be impacted to a greater degree, and maybe that will be kind of the, uh, the changeover. But I, I don't think it's any different than any, any other, other cycle that where you've seen other leadership develop. You know, and as you know, and as all the other guys on this, on this um, space tonight, we'll tell you, you know, th- and you used it, um, you know, the um, Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. These cycles have always happened. Yeah, totally. Brilliant insights, John. I really thank you for that. Okay, let's thanks, everybody. A, yeah, let's just take a break right here for a second. Um, there are a bunch of other people who want to get up here. Cool. I saw I saw Fawn's in the house and Schmuckatelli's in the house. We're going to have a room on the Ukrainian situation again in the coming weeks or days. But if L'Enfant or Schmuckatelli want to come up to just kind of debrief us on what they see going on in the Ukraine, I mean, it's kind of disappeared from the front page of the papers lately because we've become numb to the whole situation. But I think we will all benefit if they are so inclined to want to spend a few minutes updating what's going on. I also want to plug um, uh, World Central Kitchen. That's the charity that this room has selected. Um, if you find value from these rooms and – I will say this, um, I'll take on anybody, anybody, 
This is the best content on the internet, period. In any space, on any web page, any service. I defy you to show me another place, another source, where you can get opinions like these for some of the best in the business. Jeff Garbaz, Tom Thornton, Guy Sorrentulo, John Roke. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This is open architecture. We, we source from the best. Uh, you know, there was, it, it, I defy you to, to get information of this caliber from anywhere else. And we do this for free. I have no personal benefit from this. But I ask everyone to give forward. There are people who are in much worse situations than we are in the Ukraine. Um, Carol Strong was in the other day explaining, and I don't know if Carol wants to come up again, raise her hand, that's fine. I think she's a little bit shy about speaking, but they're doing God's work. I mean, I mean, they are taking their life in their, into their hand on hands by going into the Ukraine. Certain other organizations, you know, they, they, they're afraid to go because they're afraid of getting bombs dropped on them. There are, I think, three and a half million refugees. Or the last I checked, their, the, the World Center Kitchen was doling out 300,000 meals a day. So people in this room, these are first world problems we're dealing with. We're Donkey and Kathy Wood, right? I suspect, okay, I get it. You know, there's probably some younger people in here who don't have much money. Fine. But everyone needs to give according to their means. And I'm certain there are people in this room, if you have a net worth of a few hundred thousand dollars, a few million dollars, tens of million dollars, or you're an RRA managing money for people. The way I was brought up, you have an obligation to give. I give. It's the code I live by. And, you know, I make these rooms free. And I think we've raised $21,000 so far. We have a goal of $200,000. I don't know if we're going to get there. I will tell you we are considering other ways of raising money for charity, including monetizing these rooms. I'd like to keep them free, but it may not stay that way forever. Um, people need to do the right thing. We're doing the right thing by giving this out for free. So if you think you got value from this room, I ask you to give generously to World Central Kitchens. I mean, I was, you know, I'm not a very religious person, but in Judaism, you're taught that the goal is to leave the leave this planet in a better place, leave this world in a better way than when you entered. And I think it's the least we can do. There are people out there who are far less fortunate than I. So I implore you to, you know, the, you go if you go on uh, my YouTube, uh, you go on my Twitter um, uh, handle, you can find us in the stream. I think Carol will probably tweet it out again. Also, the link to my YouTube channel is up there, and there's a link in there to World Central Kitchen. But these people need our help. These people need our help. And if you're so fortunate, yeah, I just put it in the nest, George. It's in the nest now. Three aces, and thank you, three aces, for being so generous. And I don't want to embarrass him, but three aces is given generously, and it's the thing to do. I mean, and, and so I. And by the way, I want to call out Carol Strone, um, Jack Crow, Andrew, and RJ. They've all been behind the scenes making this work. We're up on a YouTube channel. It wouldn't be possible without them. I don't know how to work technology. They've all contributed of their time. It's their way of, of paying forward and giving back. And so none of this would be possible without, without all their help. And, you know, there are a lot of shysters and charlatans and assholes in social media and Twitter. It's not the way I roll. And, you know, I'm hopeful we can start a movement or whatever trying to raise money through social media, as I discussed with Carol quite a lot, it's hard. Usually raising big money requires a personal connection. But if you've done well and you're of means and you've got, you know, a few hundred thousand bucks, a few million bucks, you know, to your name, 
you know, to just reach in and get the credit card out and lay a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, whatever down. It's not a big ask. You think about the value you're getting from this room. I mean, if we go monetize it and start with a freemium premium model, which may happen, you know, it's probably going to cost you a thousand bucks here to get into this room. I'd rather not do it, but we're going to do what we have to do to raise money for the right people. All right. So I don't know if Carol wants to come up and say anything more. Otherwise, we're going to move on. And I'd like to, I'd like to now go to uh, Bob Klein. Bob, good to see you. What's on your mind, Bob? Oh, thanks, George. And I will uh, I will uh, follow your suggestion and uh, give uh, to uh, the kitchen as uh, soon as I'm done with the call here. Uh, I just wanted to say kudos to you for curating this and and you bring a uh, tremendous perspective in that you you have a grasp of the big picture uh, in terms of macro issues as well as you're able to dig in to the nuts and bolts of individual companies that's that's rare on wall street usually you get one or the other and and you're able to bring both and i think uh to the table and i think that's one of the things that makes these uh spaces so valuable but the thing i wanted to add to the conversation is that I think that the uh, the streets following the money supply somewhat. They're following, and usually they're citing M two uh, in their, you know, correctly identifying that the Fed's created too much money here, and and that's the cause of most of our problems. But but I think if you if you look at M one, the old M one, cash and checking deposits. That's gone from roughly 3.4 trillion to over 7 trillion uh, since the pandemic began. And that's never happened in the history of this country. In other words, uh, if you go back to printing the money to pay for World War II, World War I, uh, the great financial crisis, no time in history have we ever more than doubled the quantity of, of the most liquid money, cash and checkable deposits in as short a period of time as we've done. And I think that's why the, um, the, the bond curve, Kathy Wood, uh, yield curve uh, followers have been missing the, um, the, you know, the devastation in the bond market. They've underestimated how high yields have, have gone, and they're estimating ultimately high, how, how high they're going to go because they're not following the cash. They're not following the amount of juice in the system. And I'll just add one more point. They're following Chair Powell's advice because you guys may remember a year or two ago, he admonished the Senate not to follow the money supply. That's old stuff. He said, you know, I, we, you have to unlearn that. Uh, you know, I learned that in economics class millions of years ago, he said, but we got to unlearn that there's any connection between money and the economy, uh, rising prices and GDP, he said. Uh, so you you got to just forget about all that and, and just follow me. Uh, so, well, we've been following him, and, and of course, he's, he's led us into a, a, an, an extremely um, uh, horrific bond market, and that's what's ultimately brought Kathy Wood down, and uh, it, it, rising yields hit her stocks the hardest, as you guys know, and, and you know, we'll, we'll see rallies in bonds, but the pressure is going to continue until they can get control of the money supply which they're moving very slowly on. Thank you, Bob. That's extremely well put. Echoes my sentiments exactly. I believe for the reasons you alluded to, rates are going to go considerably higher than people imagine. Um, 
there's too much. They, they, they overcooked the thing. There's too much money in the system. It's why stocks went up so much. Bonds went up so much. Commodity prices went up so much. Baseball car prices went up so much. There's too much money. And they've got to pull the plug on the, on, the, on the from the bathtub and drain it a little bit. Everyone says, well, you know, if they're going to reduce the balance sheet by, you know, $95 billion a month and blah, 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 and raise rates. They tried to do this in 2008, and what happened? The market broke, and they're going to break something. And, you know, I, 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 I call BS on these people who think there's going to be five rate hikes or nine rate hikes or whatever, six and a half rate hikes. Everyone's an expert now on yield curves. I completely disagree. And I point, to, I point the following. Imagine, imagine you have um, – oh, first, let me back up for a second, all right? Larry Gentle, who's a friend of this room, who was in here a few weeks ago, he said it then, and I just talked to him the other day. All things being equal, which they never are, ceteris paribus, a hundred billion increase in the Fed balance sheet is worth forty S and P points, or about one percent. I repeat, a hundred billion is worth forty uh, forty points, or one percent. They're talking about a three trillion dollar reduction over the next three years. That's twelve hundred S and P points. That's almost thirty. Okay, twelve hundred off a of forty five hundred basis. Okay. You're talking about almost a 30% decline in the market, all else, all things be equal. You'd say, well, the market will blow up at some point. Yeah, it will blow up at some point. But the point is, as to before, as before you had a, you had a Fed put, now you got a Fed call. The, mar- the Fed does not want the market to go up. The Fed wants the market to go down because it wants to tighten financial conditions. And people haven't gotten the joke or they don't want to hear it because it's, it's, not, it's not helpful for their net worth. So... You know, people always say, don't fight the Fed. Yeah, don't fight the Fed. The Fed wants the market to go down. Not to mention the fact that, you know, the economy might be slowing and earnings estimates are coming down. You might have margin squeeze. Whether we have a recession or not, I don't know. But I think, I think you know, we're getting slower growth. And I think, I think margins are going, to come, are going to come under pressure. Um, and so for all the large parts of the market, there's, you're going to have earnings problems on top of multiple compression. And then, and then going back to John Roke, he's pointed out, he's right. If you take tech broadly defined, it's 45% of the market. Remember, you got things like Amazon hiding in retail and Netflix hiding in communications and blah, blah, blah. But you have tech at, you know, 40, 45% of the market. And then you got financials, whatever that is, another 12 or 15%. If you've got those two sectors, 60% of the market, how in God's name is the market going to go up? The market's been held up, as we all know. There's been stocks like Apple, which is 7% of the index, which, by the way, I think is a short right here, not because I, I believe that business is falling apart, but I just point out to you, you look at the, how growth is slowing. It's a 2% grower selling on 30 times earnings. Are you kidding me? Everyone's been hiding in that. Usually, you know, when they, when they raid the whorehouse, they, they come for all the girls. They're going to get Apple before this is all over. They're going to get Tesla before this is all over. I promise you, that's the way it works. So to me, this all goes in service of what I've said before. The market offers return-free risk. You heard me correct. Return-free risk. You've heard in years past, people typically say, oh, what's the risk-free return on cash? You know, what, what do I earn on overnight cash? Blah, blah, blah. It's deliberately a play on words. Return-free risk. You have zero upside and unquantifiable downside. Again, that's my opinion. I could be wrong. I've been wrong. I will be wrong. But it's my opinion, and it's muscle memory. And having seen so many cycles, that's the way it looks to me. And it's not just I'm following a narrative. Most importantly, the way I roll, I'm a fundamental investor first and foremost. I look at companies. 
We have the Canadian Oil Mafia here in the room, and Oil God's going to talk in a minute. You know, if you can find, and, and, and Oil God is not going to monopolize the thing, this is not going to be a commercial message for Canadian oil companies. So I'm going to channel my inner my inner Marcellus and my inner Oil God and my inner Sohave and my inner Shabam. If I can show you companies, forget about what they do. They're selling on six and seven times earnings, and estimates are going up, and they're on 30% cash flow yields, and they're buying back stock and, and shrinking the cap. Like, if I didn't tell you what it was, you say, really? I want to own that. Well, that's that's energy, particularly Canadian oil. Forget about the particulars, but I digress, you know, just for a friend. You know, these companies, they're cheaper than their American brethren. They have better reserve positions. They got slower, slower uh, decline rates. They got better reserve lives. They got a weak Canadian dollar, blah, 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 blah. All right? So to me, if the world doesn't come to an end, and I don't think it will, we don't get a recession, these things like on, on cash flow, on, on, on two, two and a half times cash flow, multiples of six, like, and then, you know, oh God, he nailed Shopify on the short side. And then we got to, you know, how, you know, come down from planet Mars, you're Warren Buffett, right? You're a Martian. You don't, you, you know, you, you know, Shopify is not in your hall of fame because you don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling because it didn't make money for you. And also you're not pissed off the energy stocks because they didn't, you didn't lose money from 2016 to 2019. So, you know, you're a child. I put all the little toys down on the rug in front of you. Here are a bunch of blocks. Which ones do you like? You say, oh, okay, well, wait a second. This tech thing you'd be showing me, the Shopify, it's on like, you know, 15 times revenues, 80 PE, the charts rolling over, it's over-owned. Estimates are kind of like flattening out. It's like, nah, I don't like that one. Well, what about this one over here? Wait a second. This thing is recovered off the lows, but it's still down from where it was years ago. It's on six times earnings. They're increasing their dividends. Earnings estimates are going up. Blah, 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 blah. But, okay, I'll have some of that. Well, that happens to be energy stocks, in particular Canadian oil stocks. So, you know, I'm a fundamental investor. And again, do your own work. Don't come crying to me if three weeks from now, you know, Joe Biden farts and all the energy stocks are down or something like that. All right? that's, that's not what this is about. Do your own work. But I'm telling you, as a fundamental investor, where I look bottom up, and then and then and then Bob Klein, you know, very graciously pointed out that I kind of have a macro perspective as well. From a macro perspective, you know, we had Oliver Parsons in here a few weeks ago, channeling his inner Mike Rothman. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to mention names, Oil God or Marcellus, but I want to see those little smiley faces. There's a certain Canadian oil manager who runs the biggest Canadian ETF, energy ETF in Canada. I'm not going to mention names. You may want to watch my Twitter space because he may just be appearing in, in this room in a week or two. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you look at the bottom, you look at the bottom up, you look at the top down, you look at the charts, you look at the macro bullshit, you know, with the Tiger and liquidity, you want to go from long duration to short duration, from the virtual to the real, from what's over-owned to the under-owned. Oh my God, I'm starting to sound like Richard Ross in Evercore. I sigh. You know, that's where you want to be. And I too can change my mind, but I just find it mind boggling. You know, again, it goes to cognitive bias. People just, they don't want to give up on the old girlfriend because it treated them so well. Well, a new babe or new guy just rolled into town. All right. And it's known as energy and materials. All right. Enough of that rant. Um, Let's see. We're going to go to Oil God and then we're going to go to Marcellus. Oil God, my friend, how are you? George, thank you so much. And honestly, I, I don't know what Sohabe and the Mafia have been paying you on the side, but for telling me not to do an advertisement for energy, 
My God, you make me feel like I didn't own enough. So <laughs> thank you. Oh, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. You know what it is? It's like, it's like, you ever get those calls, those solicitations, and someone says, I'm not calling to sell you anything. No and then what you do? It's like, I would no try and sell you. So no I learned from the best one guy. Day, and listen, one day when we don't have all these ears, uh, you know, we'll go get a pizza as well, and we'll obviously smoke some Canadian marijuana, and we can talk about these ex-girlfriends that, that live in your head rent-free. Because I can tell you that you, you're absolutely right. You have to move on, and uh, life goes on, as they say, and uh, you go to where the puck is going. And I think you've done a great thing. Believe it or not, I actually have a question about the U.S. economy, because it's something that uh, would derail our energy investment. And, and obviously, we're backdooring our way into understanding information that you know, can screw up our trade, as you've rightfully put the upside. And that's really you know, this recession. And what you saw in 2008 and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously Wall Street shits the bed on, on collateralized debt, you know, knock-on effects, unemployment goes up, all of a sudden people have to sell homes because, you know, shit's hitting the fan. It's not the fact that interest rates have gone up, it's the economy's tanking and unemployment is skyrocketing, right? And so in this case, if you have a situation where, um, you know, you've got the average North American in, in, in a much different space, now what does that mean? Well, the, the average, the largest cohort in North America today is the millennial. And the one thing all millennials share in common, aside from perhaps STDs, is debt, right? So they have lots of debt. They live on this me, me, me mentality of I need this. You know, I'm not going to live with four or five people to save money. I'm going to have my own apartment and I'm going to rent it. And I'm just going to borrow money to do what I want to do, right? And so if interest rates go up, and costs, and you're seeing this happen in labor, uh, insane uh, competition in the labor market, especially in technology. Um, you know, my fear is rates go up, and at the same time that businesses can't afford the labor, younger people cannot afford the rising cost of living. Because, you know, to your point, they haven't hit cycles before, right? And so my question to you is, and it's something that, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about stocks. But what happens to the real estate market at the end of all of this? Because what's also happened is that the average age of the, I believe, 65-year-old in the United States, there's over 10,000 65-year-olds created every single day as of, I believe it was 2017. Okay, So you've got the millennials who have no experience with lots of debt. You got the, the, you know, what you call the, um, the generation above, all, you know, have no choice but to leave the workforce. And everybody's going to be walking on eggshells with respect to fragility when rates go up. And I just want to get your perspective on these two demographics and, and how it would be different this time. So, oh, God, great questions. I'm not sure I can answer them, but I'll try. So, we agree. The biggest risk to the oil thesis is a recession. I believe we're going to be getting a slowdown in the States. However, policy is still highly stimulative. If you look at where real rates are and so we'll get a slowdown, but we're not going to get a recession. In my opinion, a month from now that may change, but right now the people I, I look to the Ed Hyman's Evercore SI and others who are the best at this, Slow down, but not recession. And as you know, as and by the way, by the way, I don't know, oil guy, do I have to thank Sohabe, you, Shabam, Marcellus, all of you, but 
my uh, swag, my Canadian Oil Mafia swag showed up finally. It took like weeks to get here, but this is a really great t-shirt and sweatshirt. Maybe I got to get a new photo taken of me and put it up. By the way, so hey, well, I, got, I know you got a crush on me. Do you like my the new George Noble with me in front of April flowers instead of that? I love it. I love it because you're wearing something made of petrochemicals, George. And so whether <laughs> whether you whether you continue with that or you put on your Canadian or mafia swag, you're you know, I, I will tell everybody in this space and I'm going to give you some props. Uh, you know, George Noble folks actually coined the term the Canadian energy and then the canadian oil mafia and we were a group that would all listen to spaces and we banded together so george you know one day all the royalties of these things are all going to go to charity Uh, but i want you to know that if you ever happen to be on you know jay leno the second you know and you and you know i want them to ask you the question because the answer did come from you and and you should give you full credit (laughs) and so and, and as a result of this you know we have to quantify this well, what, what does it mean since the Canadian oil mafia got together? Well, as you, as you rightfully said earlier, institutional investors are still sitting on the sidelines, yet the Canadian Energy Index has gone from 10% of the indices now up to 17 And 17 represents now the second largest component of the TSX. So for my friend here who runs ETFs or mutual funds or who are largely just stealing my parents' fees, um, I want you to know that energy is coming for you and you're not going to have a choice from a waiting perspective. George, back to you. Oh, God, love it. Love the way you slip that in there. So coming back to your question, there's only been three times in the last 50 years that oil demand's actually gone down. It was the oil crisis in the early 70s. There was the great financial crisis, and there was COVID. As we know, um, you know, the oil demand globally tends to kind of go up on kind of like GDP minus type of thing, but it always tends to go up. And much to the chagrin of the Kathy Woods of the world, maybe Gordon Johnson wants to, I don't know if he's still in the room, he might want to come up and talk about it. You know, the number of, um, of, of, uh, of the, the fleet of internal combustion engine cars is going to continue to grow for like at least the next 10 years. Um, and so, you know, 74% of uh, oil demand goes for transportation, if I got my numbers right. I just went to my Rothman, Eric Nuttall uh, uh, webinar the other day. Um, uh, Eric, oh, I shouldn't have said it. Oh, we're, ha- we're having, please mark down your calendars. I'm hoping it's going to be after the close on Monday. Um, this person who shall not be named who runs a large Canadian energy ETF out of Toronto uh, has provisionally said Monday after the close, but I have to confirm it. Um, and the other thing you should know, and this will go to your question, Oil God, we're having on Tuesday, Marty Fridson, after the close, I think 4, 4.30, Marty Fridson, who some of you may not know, but he is one of the foremost experts on credit. And for all us dumb equity guys, I include myself in that category, we don't even know the Bloomberg pages where to find the bond prices. He's going to do like credit uh, 101 for dummies, namely us. So um, we're going to have a credit guy in here on Tuesday. And uh, Eric, no, oh, man, sorry. The energy guy is going to be in here on Monday. And to your other question, Oil God, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to have the number one housing analyst in this room uh, within the next two weeks. I happen to know her, Ivy Zellman. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to get her to come in here. So I'm going to wing it, and you can await her answer later on the housing. At any rate, uh, and Marty will be in here talking about credit. So I think we get a slowdown. I don't think we get a recession. Policy is still highly stimulative. Um, of course, you know, if all hell breaks loose further with the Russians and they cyber attack us and kill everything or 
nuclear bomb goes off, you know, all, all bets are off. And, and if oil goes up and to the right in a huge way to 200 bucks, yeah, that'll bring on a recession. But right here, right now, it's not my central case scenario. So, uh, again, to the extent that it's really the, the delta is in supply, not demand, that's driving the oil price. And I only think it's a matter of months before the market's going to start to be focusing on, gee, does OPEC have any extra capacity left? And, and Mike Roth was saying the other day that, you know, he thinks by year end, um, they're going to be out of excess capacity. That's going to put a whole nother leg on the oil story. So listen. So I was going to add one thing. Of... I just want to say one thing because you said it perfectly earlier as well. So not, and excuse me, my, my, my puppy here is just chewing on a bone. So don't, it's not me. Um, what, I, what I'm going to say is um, you, you rightfully said it because what you're doing is you're pairing uh, a global you know, economy that's going to be looking at the actual commodity and, you know, the supply and demand, you know, fundamentals, and clearly the supply is going to underwhelm. And and I absolutely agree with you. Yet, we're going to be, and the more it underwhelms, the more inflation goes higher. 100%. More inflation goes higher, the more the cost of capital increases and people will... 100 percent 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100
I, I think used to be he's, so I, greedy, George. I used to be so greedy. Oil guy, I think Thornton snuck out, but I'd say it to his face. I'd say it to him before. He's a great technician, but he, you know, he has multiple tools in his arsenal. DeMarc's just one of them. And you know what? I'll say he'll probably listen to the replay. I don't know if he's still in the room. I'll say it to his face, okay? DeMarc, in my view, like maybe I'm just stupid. I can't – whenever he starts going DeMarc on me, I'm like, dude, you know, you had me at Fibonacci. Like, why are you talking DeMarc to me, okay? DeMarc, I've never seen a technical service where you're allowed to make a forecast, and then when it doesn't work, you erase the lines, and it's like you never made the forecast, right? DeMarc, I just – it just doesn't work for me. I mean, I know Marcellus likes DeMarc. He's going to talk about that. Maybe Jeff Garbaz wants to talk about about DeMarc. But, you know, he loses me when he starts doing his DeMarc thing. But anyway, to finish up, and I want to get to Marcellus, um, I think we get a slowdown. I think we get a recession. Um, We're going to have the credit. You know, and so far, spreads moved out a little bit, but they haven't really moved out very much. We're going to have Marty Fridson in here on Tuesday next week. We're going to have the housing guru in a couple weeks. We're going to have this Canadian oil guy from Toronto, hopefully on Monday. So we're going to keep the cards and letters coming. So hopefully I answered your question, Marcel. Well done, George. Well All done. Right. I'm going to I'm going to take myself off and right, I just want to it. thank you on behalf of the Canadian Oil Mafia. Awesome. You awesome. A great awesome. awesome. Wear awesome. the t-shirt, change your profile pic. You'll All right. Younger I will. and younger girls every day DMing you. I promise. <laughs> hey, Marcellus, what's up, man? Hey, George. For uh, hosting on a uh... This evening, and uh, I love being in here. Guys like Jeff and Oil God are always great to listen to. Um, I'm glad that you brought up uh, your opinion that that you think the Fed really is sort of uh, in the closet wanting this inflation. Because I've honestly, personally, I've been saying that since Q3 of 2020, um, when when all the added debt was was thrown on from uh, Congress enacting all, all of these uh, stimulus packages to begin with. I, I said from from that very day, we're going to have inflation and the Fed is going to want it to happen because they don't have a choice. Um, and, and I still feel that way. Uh, they still have not started to begin tightening officially yet. Right. Um, they can say all they want about, you know, eight, 11, 12 raises. But until they actually happen, it doesn't matter. And if they're not actually tightening, it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, that's a different issue. I mean, I think obviously I am in the inflation camp. I have been since day one. All the people that said it was transitory in November, I said, you're going to be very wrong. I hope everybody's paying attention to what we're saying, because if you don't position yourself now, you're going to find yourself where you are right now if you stayed in tech. Um, anyway. Uh, as far as the energy and Canadian uh, companies are concerned, I think people need to pay attention to how high natural gas has gone over the last couple of weeks. Um, definitely not something even I think even those of us in the com did not expect to see this. This is this is not was not on the radar at all. Um, and a lot of these companies produce a significant amount of gas. So. Uh, if you're invested in something that's not oil sands related, you're you're getting a decent amount of gas typically with your production. So looking at uh, companies that are unhedged, I think, is very smart. It's something you want to do. Um, try to find things that are not very heavily hedged. Um, I think you'll find a lot more of those companies the further north you go, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the Texas area, if you will. So I don't know. I didn't really have a whole lot to talk about other than I think people need to pay attention to natural gas prices when they're running their models on 
So yeah, Marcel says brilliant. And, and again, I don't put you on the spot. And if you don't want to talk about it, um, I'm gonna and oil guy's gonna say George, you've gone soft on us. But Marcel, Marcellus or oil guide or any other Canadian oil mafia guys in the room, please come on up. Um, given that prices have changed so much, in particular with respect to the gas dynamic that you mentioned, but also some other stocks have kind of like you know they've taken on gas. No pun intended. Like you know, you guys have forgotten more about the names than I'll ever know, but. And again, I'm going to direct everyone to um, Shabam's website, White Tundra, uh, you know, at White Tundra, or they should go to Eric Nuttall at um, Nine Points Energy. He gives it away for free. He does the best work, I think, of the of the of the more high profile Canadian oil analysts. He runs an e- again. I have no commercial uh, affiliation with him, so I'm not plugging him. I'm doing it because you know. He's a good guy. He does great work. I mean, I had him talk to Peter Lynch a few months ago. Um, but uh, I just want to ask you, you guys. And by the way, he has, so he has his portfolio up there. He's kind of like, hey, oh, God, don't throw a tomato at me. If I dare say he's the Kathy Goods of Canadian Energy. He's you know, ruthless, trans, radical transparency. So you can just go up there and you can, okay, he doesn't do every day his trades, but you can see by month what his 10 biggest positions are. So he gives it away for free. So I don't know, Oil Guard, Marcellus, or any of the other, Paying all guys in the room, uh, maybe just kind of help everybody else in the room. Are there any two or three names that you'd recommend? I mean, you know, I, I tell people buy Synovus, it's liquid, it's, you know, it's not so clever, blah, blah, blah. It's listed in the US as an ADR. You know, CNQ and Suncor are kind of like least interesting. So for, for companies that, you know, Americans would recognize that are more liquid or trade in the US, but then there are a lot of smaller ones. So I don't know, maybe if you guys could mention two or three names. George, I'm going to give you one, and then I'm going to cede the floor to Marcellus. Uh, and, and Deep, buddy, I miss you. I hope you come and move to Canada one day, and we can all get a farm and, and you know start families and smoke weed. It'll be fucking fantastic. But, George, um, for me, the name that you must look at, because if you like Synovus, you're going to love the Christina Lake uh, sort of area. Enzo, get the fuck away from your bowl. Sorry, my dog is going nuts. Um, uh, you, the 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 place to be is a company Bloody called hell. Meg. M E G, M E G, Meg Energy, longest life reserve, sixty year life reserve. Okay, and it is in the best jurisdiction. Great management, very good free cash flow profile. And this is a company that if you think, you know, if, if, if ACO prices stay over five and WTI, and you've seen the long end of the tail, George, go up with this SPR release to over 80, about 70 to 80 now. If, 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 if oil prices can stay at least 90 to $100, we all know Synovus is going to be somewhere between 60 to $80 a share. That would put Meg somewhere between 40 and 50. Today, Meg Energy is about 17 to 18 fantastic and this company just so you know how valuable it is and i'm not doing its service i know deep you can talk about this much much more than me but this company was almost acquired um i believe it was pre-pandemic uh or better than just right when it rolled over by husky energy at around three dollars a share they they tried to take this thing over and meg's you know management and shareholders told them to you know as we say in canada go fuck yourself and they didn't take him over and then what ended up happening was Synovus ended up taking Husky. And so if you think of the synergies and the jurisdiction, and I'm not going to tell you what you know people may buy or buy, not buy, if there is any 
fucking company with long life reserves, clean balance sheet, good management, good jurisdiction, and a place that's what you call a takeover targeted that actually makes sense. MEG is a symbol. You can donate some of your proceeds to charity, buy yourself a calm t-shirt, take George Noble and any one of his ex-girlfriends to all the baseball games he can eat. And if not, just thank the oil god and DMs. You the man. Oh, that's brilliant. All right. I'm gonna Hey George. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Before go. anybody talks, just a minute. Guy, you're gonna go next and then Marcellus. So I just received um, a DM from somebody. I feel like I'm shilling for public television now, but Fuck it. It's not for me. It's for people who need the goddamn money. Someone just DM'd me and said, I'll match $2,000 on this room if the room gets $2,000 tonight. So I'm not going to count any money that's coming previously. I'm just going to say, I think we're at $24,000 right now. This fellow is willing to put up two grand if the room gets to two grand. So if people will put money in now, if we get two grand from the room now, It'll be matched by two grand from this other fellow. And uh, if he gives me permission, you know, I'll, I'll, I tweeted it out. I, 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 I redacted the DMs. He can't see who it is. I don't want to embarrass him. But it's an incredibly generous um, uh, gesture. You know who you are, who I'm talking to you, because you're still in the room. Um, his heart's in the right place. He's a good man. He's willing to put up $2,000 if the room can put up 2000 So we can add... We can get $4,000 to the people in Ukraine right now. So any dollar you give right now up to 2000 is going to be doubled. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put maybe Carol, if you're still in the room, I'm going to try to put this up on my Twitter feed again. But um, please, please, please get to World Central Kitchens. All right, enough of that. So now we're going to go to Guy, and then we're going to go to Marcella. Guy, what's up? Oh, George, uh, when um, the Canadian Oil Mafia, my friend here, uh, just mentioned uh, – Meg Energy, uh, I think that's a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. Now, as an Italian, I mean, I can't say I'm an Italian oil mafia person, but I could say, well, I wish I could say olive oil is a buy, but this one here is definitely a phenomenal buy. I did my money flow work on this not recently, and 29 is uh, my upside target. And I was looking on um, um, on the Erlinger work with Jeff Jeff Gabars is. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's the authority on it. But there's like nine days of shorts in the stock. And the stock broke out of a base just about, what, um, earlier in the year, in January. So I think this, this this stock looks really phenomenal. So I would highly recommend, you know, people look at that. But I also wanted to really chime in on what Roke said a while back. Now, again, I, I spent over 30 years uh, on the buy side, and you know, I worked with George at Fidelity in the early '90s, and I worked with George in uh, 2005. So I worked with people that manage a lot of money. And the, the bot, the, my point is, going back to energy and technology. Working at Wellington, I was there for 10 years, Fidelity for 13 years. In Wellington, when we had that decline in uh, 07, 08, and into 09. A lot of PMs, you know, they, they held on to the Amazon that was down, what, probably 60 plus percent. So, you know, the point I want to make is that you know, a lot of these PMs are afraid to underweight, uh, you know, benchmark weightings. So they're going to hug the benchmark. They're going to ride the declines and they're still going to get paid because, you know, even if, if, if their fund is down 20 percent and the S&P was down 21 percent, they won and they're going to get a bonus. So. The reason why I say this is it's so important because 
over time, what's going to happen is that as, you know, if you notice what's going on in, in, in the boob tube world, people are talking more and more now than six, seven, eight months ago or even 12 months ago on energy, right? It's because people are gravitating to what's working. So these people are going to be forced to add on to energy stocks. So your Exxon, your Chevrons, the big liquid names. I think, George, you and I talked not long ago, you know, Newmont's going to be the gravitational pull for big PMs that are want to have a little bit of exposure. They can't make it a big weight because tech is there and Amazon and Apple. So just think about where the, you know, where the money is flowing. They're going to have to still stick with these stocks that are going down. Unfortunately, it happens. I mean, if you're running a 20, 30, 40, 50 billion fund, uh, Wellington fund, it's a trillion dollars. It's crazy. They have to be close to that benchmark. So they're not going to be selling these stocks on the decline. So the smaller PMs that are a billion, five billion, three billion, they're going to be adding to these stocks. And that's where you're going to get a little push up, push up. So I think, you know, George, when I started, I, I did work for George for in uh, 05 and 06. We have the same environment with, with uh, precious metals and energy. I think the market is going to pull these people in. And there's another big upside pull to getting money into that, those two sectors. So, just my own. The other, the other thought I had too. What would have saved at uh, uh, Kathy Wood is to have a one-eyed technician with a crooked ruler in her arsenal. Because, <laughs> and I've said this to guy, 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 guy. You got to explain that a little bit. Go on. Oh yeah, no. Look, I, I've wa- I worked with PMs that are managing anywhere from a billion to seventy billion. Magellan, Contra, and and other people. So. Look, this and, I, and we've managed over five billion at Wellington uh, with our team. I would walk in their office and say, "Look, this chart looks like shit. You own it. You have to cut back." And I, I would say, even a one-eyed technician with a crooked ruler would say the trend is down. And if you look at Kathy Woods, you know, someone for holdings like Doc, uh, Teledoc, or Coin. I mean, what technical analyst would would say this is a buy? I mean, you would want to write that down. So one, George, I have to tell you a quick story, 20 seconds. So back in the 90s when I worked at Fidelity, um, I had to cover and put ratings on healthcare and cyclicals. Those were my coverages. And cyclicals, so what happened was the fundamental analyst would have his, his monthly pitch on a specific uh, group. And then a technical analyst had like 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the end to give a spiel. There was an incident where the tech, the fundamental guy, we had a, a paper analyst covering his cover, you know, stocks and why he had buys on them. So, George, I did this. And you know that our colleagues, and a lot of them were still there back then, the Van der Heides, et cetera. What I did, the, the charts looked like shit. They were bad. He had buys on them. I had sells. You know what I did? I flipped, I inverted all the charts. I flipped them all, all upside down. <laughs> and, and, and I posed the question to the whole room, George. You know what people were talking about? And I said, for one moment, do you people really like these stocks? Do you think you would buy them? I had the names covered up. And then I, I went on to say, these are what the stocks we're talking about. And I flipped them upside down. You know something? Towards the end of the day, our firm was selling those stocks. And, the, and, and our fundamental analyst was getting calls on the sell side to try to figure out what was going on. So you my point this- is... You flip up, you flip Kathy Wood stocks upside down. And yeah, so, so wait, so wait, so wait. You turn the charts upside down and they took the bait and then you prove the point. And then what, yeah. well, here's my question. Here's my question. What you show them, 
what fools they were. Did they then say, "Uh oh, you're right"? Were they at least? Were they at least? Oh, yeah. Willing- yeah. No, we were, we started selling them. I mean, not everybody, but I had some good, you know, people following our work. We, you, you know, what it was like back then. We had people, you know, look, look, Vinix of the world and Vanta Hyde. Those people looked at charts, not to ninety percent of all their work, but enough to that they would listen to us. Right. So we had no, no. We started selling them, and you know, it, it points. It made a message. So, and I use that kind of a. Uh, uh, of an analogy going forward in time when I worked with, you know, people at Wellington and what have, what have you. So, hey, hey, Guy, I really appreciate that. And by the way, um, you know, I've known Guy for, oh my gosh, 20, well, eight, well, 24 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, so in the late 80s. And so I worked with Guy at Fidelity. I worked with him when I had my fund. He does great work, you know, decades of experience at Fidelity and Wellington. He was trained by the best. Um, please reach out to him. I have no commercial relationship with guy, but please reach out to him. He has a, his own, you know, independent research firm, does great work, very specific recommendations. So, you know, for reasons everyone can appreciate, I don't like to get too much in these individual stocks here, but, um, I can point you to people because, you know, I got to worry about compliance, all that kind of nonsense, but, um, you know, people like, um, you know, Tom Thornton, Jeff Garbaz, Guy Serendulo, John Roke, whatever. These are people who, they're money. And so um, Guy is, um, uh, is is top rate, and I'd urge you, you can find him on Twitter. And, you know, I, I think he's looking for new clients, so um, I, I can't urge you strongly enough to, to, reach, to reach out to Guy. One other thing I want to say, um, you know, I mentioned uh, the, uh, 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 the challenge going here. Someone DM'd me, and they just put in a couple hundred bucks. I'm watching this thing. Because the the, the, the the fellows in the room, oh, here we go. So we were at 24.1 when I mentioned this about 10 minutes ago. We're up to 25.6. So um, Carol's messaging me something, but I'm gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read what she said. Um, if we could raise about another 500 bucks, um, we'll then get 2,000 from the fellows in the room. Um, and if, if the, if, 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 if the guy is matching wants to DM me and, you know, I'll call him out, but otherwise you know, the highest form of giving is when you give anonymously. So this is not about ego. This is about giving money to people who need it. So, um, I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, you know, this is great. We we're all helping each other. There's tremendous value in this room. There's a reason you, all you crazy people come in this room and they're willing to sit here for two, three, four hours. By the way, just so you know, I mean, we're getting upwards of mm, 10, 15, as many as 25,000 people listening to these uh, spaces. They're all up on the YouTube channel. We're putting more up there. Um, you're going to see more stuff coming from us, probably a web page. But I don't think you're going to find another um, uh, community with as much, uh, much input from disparate sources as open architecture. So it'll be closed architecture any day of the week. I mean, just think about it. Look, you got oil guy and Marcellus up here. They run rings around any south side oil guy. We got Newman up in the right. He's going to talk in a minute. You know, he's a veteran. He's seen cycles. He can tell you about Japan. You know, we had Guy. We had Garbaz. We had Roke. We had Thornton. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And I want to tell you something. We've created something here. This is a flywheel. I got people... And it's all because of you guys, because there's a room. I got people that are reaching out to me that want to be in this room because they're able to, to connect with you. 
you know, and it's funny. I mean, I'm not going to mention names, but, well, I will mention names. I'm going to call out Stan Weinstein because he was one of the biggest favorites we had in this room recently. Stan's as old school as they come. He's 80. I had to twist his arm to come into this room. He had to have his grandson download the Twitter app on his phone. He had to have his grandson show him how to use it. I mean, it was painful, painful, all right? No one was happy. I told Stan, so you got to do it for three reasons. A, you're going to have fun. B, you're going to teach some people. C, you might even get some business out of it. Well, you know what? For a guy who was threatening me, I'm only going to stay on for an hour, and that's it. I'm done. He was on for two and a half hours. He didn't want to go. The next day, he's telling me what a, what a great time he had. He's 80 years old. His exact quote was, this has reinvigorated me. And you know what the icing on the cake is? He generated a hell of a lot of business as well. So, so it's a win, win, win. He wins, you win, I win, we all win. And I want the people of Ukraine to win, which is why I'm going to keep banging on you people. Please give generously to World Central Kitchen. I put the link up. It's on, the, it's on my Twitter feed. All right. I'm talking too much, as usual. So we're going to go to uh, – I want to do quickly – I want to do Storm, Real, and then Mark Newman. Storm and then Real. Storm, you're up. What's up, man? Yeah, I had to come back up. I'm I'm reading, you know, listening, and Zero Hedge puts uh, put inflation, so I put it up in the nest. It's got a nice chart diagram. You know, it kind of reminds me of when I took financial, and that was sadly a huge mistake. But my marketing professor advocated on my behalf, and we made things happen, and I still failed very miserably. Um, probably a little too aggressive, but it reminds me of O2 during the accounting scandals of that era, right? We had WorldCom, Enron, and then what happened? We bought them out March of 03, and then the cycle started over again. And then we had the 07, 08 with the mortgage-backed crisis, Bear Stearns, Lehman, right? The fall guys. And and I, I would have to say the smartest guys in the room, if that was a documentary, this is the opposite side of the spectrum. And everyone has to share this room because if we just got one or two followers in here of our own, we would be north of 1,600 people in here. But, you know, it's random. Mr. Noble decides to put these things on, and they're so wonderful, folks don't even know about it. I, I mean, I'm sharing a text message to my mentors and closest friends. You got to be in the space. I mean, this is collapsing, you know, decades of education, knowledge, of investing in the mechanics of the market. And there's so many leveraged strengths in this place. And I mean, I'm in DMs and multitasking, and I'm just blown away by how much I've learned in a short period of time than over the last 20 years of studying this. Hey, 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 hey Storm, you're, you're embarrassing me now because um, thank you for your kind words. Like I said, the only reason that this, this ha I happen to be the guy, I fell into this, okay? I didn't know what a Twitter space was five months ago. And I went into a space, I listened to it, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this myself. It's only because, you know, I've got, I'm older than you are. I'm 65. I've got over 40 years experience doing this. I've made every mistake in the book. And hopefully people will learn from my mistakes and I'll make different mistakes. But along the way, I've met a lot of great people. And so my Rolodex or my Microsoft contact outlooks, whatever you guys would call it. I know a lot of guys, which is why these people come to this room and, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. I, I, I learned from the greats, and I just want to pass on what I learned. And, you know, it's just remarkable here, and, and we've created a real community, and, and I really want to mobilize this for good. So I'm thrilled that we're able to 
that we're able to do something. By the way, um, just so you know, um, I'm back channel messaging with um, this outstanding fellow who pledged 2000. So we, we hit the 2000 threshold. Doesn't mean you guys should stop giving, but he's now going to do his 2000. So when we put it, we started the day, I think we were at like 21. Carol knows the number. And then when we put the pledge out, we were at 24.1. We're now at 26.5. He puts in two grand. We're going to be at 28.5. Be a hoot if we got to 30 before this night was over. But, you know, if you can give, please do. People need the money. They really need the money. All right. Thank you, Storm. Uh, so we're going to do Real, and then we're doing Newman. Real, what's up? Real? Real, unmute yourself. I'm here. Go for it. I uh, just, just want to say a few things. Um, uh, Shabam's site on uh, is just absolutely fantastic. He does a target price analysis. And if you want to go look at the video of the work that he does, it, it's absolutely amazing. You, you, you can't even, uh, when he does his analysis, especially when he does the deep dive uh, into the analytics he is just excellent. It's absolutely yeah, so, so yeah, 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 real. I'm glad you. I'm glad you seconded that. And I don't know if you or maybe Marcellus or somebody else who's in the room was Shabam. Um, maybe we can get you up here. Shabam, could you please throw up in the nest a link to your stuff because I've told you this before, um, straight to your face. You do better work than like 99 percent of the energy analysts I've ever met. You're just another guy like the rest of us. So, real. Thank you for calling that out. I mean. Shabam is a stud. I don't know how. When are you guys just to show me how to do this nest thing? I keep getting messed up on this. But if someone could please throw <laughs> Shabam's stuff up in the nest because he, 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 again, he's doing it for no personal gain. Yeah, okay, fine. He owns the stocks. You know, obviously people buy what he's pushing. That's great. But, you know, he does, he does, he does these webinars. He does these teachings. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I hope Shabam will come up and talk for a minute. But if someone could please throw um, his 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 link or whatever, or he's he's actually he's in the third row. If anyone's looking, he's at White Tundra SG. It's Shabam SG. George, sorry, go ahead. I put a link to his website up in the nest. Oh, excellent! Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's awesome. All right, so real. Did you have anything else, or do we move on to Newman now? I just want to say about a few stupid things that's going that's going on. Uh, the province of Quebec seems to want to pass or has passed has passed legislation uh, not allowing any more gas and oil exploration, which is uh, absolutely absurd. I don't even know where they get their natural gas from now. That's a huge part of Canada. It's just absolutely absurd. I put a, a text out. What do they know that the Germany doesn't know? You know, like it's crazy. Also, uh, for people in Canada, there's a television uh, channel. If you get it, it's called Vision TV. And they're running Zelensky's old TV shows, his uh, comedic TV shows from the Ukraine, where he's playing the imaginary president. And it's hilarious. And they're raising money through that site, too, for money for, for, the, for the Ukraine. It's absolutely excellent. You know, you know real, real. It's funny you say that because my partner Susan, uh, we, we started watching. I know it was the same. You know, I don't know if it's the same show you're referring to. So we actually, subtitles. Well, is this the one where it actually shows him? It's like a comedy thing. It's like a parody. It's like he's a nobody but gets elected president. Is that the one you're talking about? That's the one. Yeah. Called servant to the people. 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. You guys got to watch this thing. I mean, real. Maybe you should real. Could you mention the name again? Because I watched it. It's fantastic. What's the name it's of it called, again? It's called Servant of the People. It's a TV series. It's not just one show. It's a whole series of shows. Right, right, right. And, and yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like he's a nobody. He's a teacher or whatever. And he gets elected president on a write-in basis. And it, it's like art imitating life, except the art comes before the life. It's like this was a joke. It was a comedy. And then it really happened. It's like I was watching this thing. I'm like, wait a second. What's going on here? But no, thank you for calling it that real. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and the other thing, the other thing I wanted to say is, we just had a U.S. senator up here. So you know, I know you don't like to mention names, but the amount of publicity that this thing got is like zero. It's on the television networks in Canada, but I didn't see anything in the states, and I didn't see anything on uh, uh, the political channel. I'm not even going to mention its name in the states. Nothing at all. So, um, yeah, but hold on, but hold on, real, hold on a second, hold on a second. I, I know you don't want to mention his names, but but what what was he saying? Forget about his name. What was he saying or not saying that was so ridiculous? That's what I want to know. Well, he wasn't saying anything ridiculous. He just says the XL the pipeline should have went through. We shouldn't. Have, it was a bad decision. We the world needs these resources. Uh, blah 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 blah, blah. and uh, that was it. And by the way, his name is Joe Manchin. He's the only Democrat uh, uh, who's really maybe a Republican. Who who knows? Yeah, no, that, that that's fair. That's fair. Thanks for that, Real. Um, okay, so Newman, you missed the first couple hours, so I don't know where you want to go with this, but we were talking. We were talking at the outset about um, you know Kathy Woods, and, and we, we we tried her in absentia, and we played the tape back, and let's get off of that. So. I don't know if we went over there, Kathy, or anything else. But what's on your mind, Mark? Yeah, so uh, I just flew in from uh, Miami. I was down at the ETF uh, exchange conference. Ah, ah, okay, okay, okay. And so, I, look, so that's where Kathy was, and I didn't see her, mind you. Uh, very funny. I know Matt Tuttle, who has the short arc fund, and he actually told me he ran into Kathy, and they had this amazing exchange conversation. I thought it was just kind of ironic. I asked, I asked Matt how profusely he thanked her for the opportunity on the short arc fund. But um, I, I'll talk more about ETFs at some other point, but I want to just reflect on a few things at this conference, okay? Um, first of all, Miami last week was the Bitcoin conference, all right? And there was 25,000 people at the Bitcoin conference, okay? And it reminds me of Tech 2000 when they were standing room only to get into all those rooms. And in 2007, I attended a couple Fed conversations at the New York Economic Club, and it was standing room only two right before the global financial crisis. So I ran into the guy who runs Selective. I don't know if you guys know Selective. They're like a disruptor in the index space. They provide a ton of indices for the ETF industry. And Stefan, who's an amazing guy, German guy, he said, Mark, when I come to places and I find 25,000 people lined up for something, I think it's a short. And he goes, and I sat in a room with a couple people, including like a Michael Saylor, and everyone said, what are the, what's the, in three years, what's the bet? And he goes, I was the only one who said, I think Bitcoin's below 10,000. And I just want to reflect one more thing about Michael Saylor, and I don't want to bash too much, but all these things, right? He went to MIT, right? And there's some sort of, you know, halo around that idea. Like when I was in Japan in the 90s, long-term capital was a great client of mine. Okay, and a lot of those guys were MIT fellows, and I just want you to know, you all know how that long-term thing ended. So, as George 
I think, I don't know if you originated this one, George, but it's one of my favorites. There's no gurus. It's just cycles. And, you know, for a guy like Michael Saylor, who was selling and bashing and bashing and bashing Bitcoin at three, four, five thousand, and then at 10, 20,000, he finds religion. I just, I, I, I'm making a statement here, and it's not a recommendation. It's just my opinion. But I think. I, I think it's I think it's time to run Forest Run from that's that, that whole thing because at the ETF convention, every not every eighty percent of the breakout rooms, crypto in the future. What's coming in the future with crypto? How to East talk way, to your Newman, clients Newman, about Newman, crypto? Newman, it was crazy. Newman, Newman, eighty yes. percent of the breakout rooms are crypto. A lot, yes, like everyone was crypto and how to talk to your clients. What are the right things to say so that your clients don't roll their eyes? It was the future of crypto. And it was really just, I mean, I said to a lot of people as I was having lunch, just sort of randomly running into people and got to talking and whatever, bullshitting, marketing, uh, uh, sorry, uh, networking, excuse me. And I just said, can you convince me that it's not a cult? And nobody had a real good answer. And yeah. so, 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 I, so yeah, Mark, so let me ask, right, I have an opposite question for you. You know, when you go to a conference, there's always like the, the slot, like the company that's stuck presenting at 4.30 or 5 p.m. and nobody goes. Right, the last one, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, and that's where you find the good stuff. So what I want to know is you may say to me, you know what, this is not the right question to ask, but was, was there anything that stood out to you, like the nerd in the room that nobody cared about? Like people are just, they're all running down. You know, it's like trying to get into the breakout session for the Bitcoin thing. It's like a Bruce Springsteen concert. It may be the most, the most beautiful girl, but she's wearing, you know, whatever. I mean, what were there any things that just struck you as like, wow, this might be interesting. Nobody's paying attention. Well, I'm going to make a little sort of joke here and sort of the, this is what caught me. Inflation or massive deflation, I'm not sure which, has hit the bathing suits in Miami. I don't know what it is, but I, 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 I must be old and conservative or something, but nobody wears bathing suits anymore. I don't understand. I mean, they had this. Wait, 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 wait. You mean some of these bathing suits, like there's not a lot of bathing suit there? There's not much left in the imagination. What are you saying? George, George, I dental floss with bigger pieces of material than some of these <laughs> bathing suits, okay? And I'm like, I, look, I, I had, I just was, I, I was having, you know, I was meeting people and networking and talking to people. And I, I was just like, I got, I have, I have a, I have a, I have a crick in my neck now, man. It, it was crazy <laughs> down there. I'm sorry. So, like, all right, so, 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 Newman, so, Newman, I get this straight. So you're like talking to somebody and you're pretending to not notice what's going on behind her, that person, right? It's just like, yeah, I get it. I get it. It was crazy. I it. So I like, I just say though, that, um, you know, the, it, it just, it just feels, I mean, I, I guess last week or so that guy, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful said, Bitcoin, yep. Bitcoin mining will save the earth. Yeah. That was my first signal to start running. Like when that guy says save the earth and Bitcoin in the same sentence, I just look, I think that, we all are starting to feel this sort of changing of the tech, the shifting of the tectonic plates. Sure. And obviously, the energy guys have been on that. And, 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 even, and I just I just think that it's one of those everyone looks at you with like like you have two, two three, four heads. And then six months later, they're like, wow, you. Yeah, that was the right call. And I just think that we're I, I just the Bitcoin thing or the crypto thing has just gotten to a point where I I'd be. I'd be running. I'd be running the other way. Is uh, really how I feel about that. Newman, that's great. Let me. One last thing. So, aside from crypto, were there any guys like? I didn't. 
You're breaking up a little, George. It might be my sorry, 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 sorry. Say that again. Yeah, sorry. So there, there, there's like one. I think there's a good inflation ETF out there. INFL. It's run by uh, uh, what a kinetic concepts, whatever. Yeah, but kinetic horizons. Yeah, okay, right. There hasn't been a plethora of like inflation or energy or you know. I mean, forget about lithium. That's that's bullshit EV stuff. Okay, but sort of like you know stuff in the ground. You may say, well, it's skewed by stocks, but I haven't seen too many. I haven't really. Was there anybody pitching like you know either energy ETFs or inflation ETFs or or was it or, or no? It was all just growth dope shit and, and Bitcoin. Like, talk to me well, about. Well, I, what I, else, I what thought I thought that was interesting. There where there was one guy talking about how he was still shunning shunning the value trade. He was talking about low PEs and how some of these uh, value names over time could still just grind and trend lower. And I thought in the era, or not era, but in the newer development development of higher rates, I, I, I think that the guys who are still poo-pooing and leaning and fading the value trade, I don't think they're expecting rates to stay firm extensively which is why they're sort of saying, no, still poo-poo the value stuff. And I thought that was sort of I, – I, I disagreed with that, to be honest. Wow. Newman, Newman, I can kiss you, man. We've got a bromance here. This is awesome. Music to my ears. All right, Mark, anything else or do you want no, to uh, – No, more to, more to come in a few weeks as we talk about uh, – as we get there. But, um, no, I, I just um, – I'm pulling into the driveway and uh, – All right, be I'm good. Gonna, uh, All right. An evening. But thanks for the, this, George. You do a masterful job here, man. It's really Appreciate one of my and, favorite and, times and, to be on and, the phone. And, and thanks for dropping in. You always add to the room. That's great. Thanks, Newman. Have a you good got one. it. Have a good one, guys. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. We're going to go now to uh, Illinois. Illinois, good to see you, man. What's up? Hey, George. Uh, thanks Thanks for having me up here. Um, Tommy Thornton has uh, – I subscribed to his service. Um, two weeks ago, he was bullish on natural gas at 550. Now that it's getting up to seven – He's, um, you know, he's, he's hedging his bets a little bit more and he's saying that, you know, it's 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 looking, you know, sentiment is really strong here and he's potentially calling for, you know, a technical pullback here. And I guess, you know, sort of what I'm seeing is is that there's, you know, kind of, you know, I, I'm wondering if we're looking sort of at, you know, a short term supply squeeze. I guess my question sort of is, 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 you know, during, you know, these these, you know, supply panics and stuff like that, what. What are you looking at? Are you looking at the technicals? Are you looking at the fundamentals? And, and sort of what's everybody else thinking about sort of in the natural gas space, both, you know, well, physically yeah, and so, fundamentally? So, you know, trying to predict energy prices is a fool's errand. There are guys that are much smarter and have far more experience and work harder than I am, and it's hard getting it right. Um, so let's not minimize the enormity of the task. I, I can see that I'm just looking for, you know, advice yeah, from experienced no, no, hands because no, no, the no, sample no, size no, that no. I have is small and, and, and no, you're I, a little no, bit bigger. No, 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 I understand. I understand. My question is, are you, did, you, did you participate in the natural gas play by buying an equity or did you buy the natural gas itself? What did you do? Did you buy an ETF? Did you buy UNG or a future or did you actually buy a natural gas producing company? What did you buy? I buy the equities and then I usually hedge UNG by buying puts at like the twenty, you know, at the you know twenty delta or so. All right, all right, so, all right. So you you bought the equities, okay? So the thing is, the equities are really correlate to the to to the strip in the future, and you know a lot of times you'll see spot prices go way up or way down, and the equities have a relatively more muted uh, reaction. So 
I can't speak to which particular equity you own. If you want to catch me offline, we can talk about it. But, you know, I mean, let me give you an example, all right? Let's look at what happened with oil, all right? Oil went way up to what it was at 130, wherever it went. You know, WTI went to 130 or 125. I lost track of the numbers. And the stocks went up, but they didn't go up that much. And then WTI crashed to 95. And the stocks went down a little bit, but not that much. And so here we have, you know, WTI, I think it was 101 today, if I, if I remember correctly, 102. You know, having reached 125 a few weeks ago, and yet the energy equities are higher because they're trading off the strip. If you look at the, at the, at the, at the outlets on crude, it's act, the strip is actually higher now than it was before Biden did the SPR stint. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's multiple time frames. And so you're asking questions, you know, short-term micro stuff. So, you know, if the question is, what is spot natural gas going to do in the next couple of weeks? Who the hell knows? What I think you have a better shot at getting right is what will natural gas equities do over the next year or two? And I see Shabam was snuck up here, so he's going to speak to this in a minute. So I don't try to pretend – I don't try to figure out short-term wiggles. I don't know too many people who do because it's a fool's errand. It's not what Shabam does. It's not what Marcellus does. It's not what Oil God does. It's not what I do. I try to figure out what's a reasonable long-term price assumption for the underlying commodity, run that through whatever scenario you want, and then take a look at what's priced. So, for instance, just staying with your energy for a second, just generically, you know, again, if you, you know, go look at Eric Nuttall's stuff. I'll just pick on him because he, he's public and he gives it away for free, so I'm not violating any confidentiality. He does really good work. Um, and go to Shabam's website. He does it as well. And he can show you equities where, you know, if you look at what's implied in the price, maybe it's discounting 60 or $65 w, WTI and, you know, spots 102. Well, like, what do you care if WTI goes down 10 bucks or up 10 bucks? Yeah, sure. Sentiment terms, is gonna, it's going to matter. But equities live in the future. Commodities are spots. There's a big difference. And so I think what Tommy Thornton's talking about, I didn't see his report today. I have it. I didn't look at it. He's probably talking about the short-term price. But you got to ask yourself, if spot natural gas does come in, and yeah, you know, it might very well do. Because the other thing to keep in mind is the financial market for these products, like oil, is like 50, 50 times the physical market. So sentiment shifts in the financial market can shift the underlying physical price enormously. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, am, am I trying to be the smart guy to figure out the zigs and zags in the short run? That's a fool's errand. Or, and I'm going to let Shabam talk, because actually, Shabam, I'm going to tee it up to you this way, because your, your question. You know, how do you look, Shabam? So I'm going to hand it off to Shabam. Shabam, I don't know if you heard the question, but what basically what it speaks to is how do you think about spot prices in terms of valuation? Do you look at the strip? Do you tend not to worry so much more about the spot price and more about your long-term expectations? And, you know, how do you, how do you think about the volatility and the noise that comes from the, the gyration in the short-term prices? So, Shabam, good to see you. The floor is yours. Shabam, please unmute yourself. Yeah, thanks, George. Great to see you again. Great to see everyone deep, Illinois, uh, real stuff. I see Guy Serendulo is on the uh, stage. So, hey, boy, God. Um, so, I'll keep it simple, I guess. I look at the macro, and as long as nothing changes in the macro, which we've recently had a little bit of a change, but I think we're back in a undersupplied situation in that 1.5 to 2 million barrels a day, based on the latest data I'm seeing. It did uh, contract there for the last four weeks-ish, 
um, where we saw some inventory builds in some areas, but the macro is back looking good. You pick the right names and you sit tight. That's it. If you try and trade in and out, you get panicked by the volatility. All that's going to end up happening is you're going to sell on the down days and it's going to run up five, six, seven percent the next day. So we saw that this Monday again, the same thing. It's 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 like clockwork. Um, so yeah, I mean it's tough. The mental part of trading oil stocks is very very tough. There's there's people taking victory laps. There's people calling you dumb, and you didn't sell at the top and all this other stuff. And you know what? You just ignore them. You look at the last eighteen months. You look at the last twenty four months, and uh, when you deposit your money in the bank, you're laughing. So. I think it's uh, you're as an oil investor, you're fighting against a lot of things. You're fighting against people who think you're a polluter, people who think you're price gouging, people who think you're lying to them, uh, people who think that electric vehicles are going to take over the world. You're you're fighting a lot of people. Um, I've said this before. I got kicked out of a club in Seattle last summer because I was investing in in oil stocks. So um, yeah, basically, I just I look at the macro. As long as nothing changes, you invest in the best names to take advantage of that macro and you sit tight. The spot market does whatever it does. It gyrates. Um, doesn't really matter. The long-term thesis, mid-term thesis is, is still intact. George, have your sample size is bigger. Have you ever seen a supply squeeze in commodities or anywhere else? Have you ever seen it affects the, the macro fundamentals? I guess would be sort of another question. Like we've seen a nickel squeeze. We've seen, the, the squeeze on wheat. Um, have you seen situations ever where it's changed the, the big macro picture? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at it, but uh, but I'm gonna ask Shabam or Marcellus or any of the other uh, commodity oriented guys up on the stage. I'll just tell you in my career, I go back to 1980. I don't think I've ever seen it like this. And the reason I say that is it's ubiquitous. It's not just oil. It's across a whole host of extractive industries where because of the over-financialization of the economy, there's been a tremendous reduction in uh, exploration and development, a huge decline in CapEx, you know, 70% decline in energy CapEx since 2014, et cetera, et cetera. And so what's happened is, you know, we had these big, if you go back and look at the history, and I don't have the charts in front of me, Shabam will correct me. If you go back and you look over the last few decades, you know, there was a time when, you know, OPEC had, I don't know, 20, 25 million barrels of excess capacity. It was crazy numbers, right? Or I should say world excess capacity, I mean OPEC. And so, you know, the idea that the world might be running out of production capacity, like that was never a thing. Because it was always like tens of millions of barrels of excess capacity. Well, what's happened now is because we've underinvested for so long, that that excess capacity, the reserves, the excess reserves are disappearing. And, you know, Shabam can, can school us on, you know, it takes whatever, three to seven years to develop reserves and blah, blah, blah. And so you get these, these big disconnects. Like if demand picks up tomorrow, it may take seven, ten years before you're going to get more reserves. And so you get these big leads and legs, which is why it's always important to have, you know, excess res- I mean, and Shabam will weigh in on it. And Shabam, just take notes here. I forget the, the, how many years of reserves like we, we, we have now because we haven't drilled enough recently. So the point is, We've been, we've been in Illinois, no more questions because I want someone else in here. Um, I'll answer the question, then we're going to go to Shabam. Um, I've not seen it like this because we have underinvestment in all these, in all these, in all these commodity areas. It's not just oil, it's in a lot of things. 
and it's you know you need higher prices to encourage more um, uh, development of, of resources. But in some cases, with the ESG people, it's like you know no, they don't want it, and so we're, they're exacerbating the shortage. We're walking right in right into um, uh, we're walking right into it to an energy crisis, and um, uh, so so no, I've not seen it like this. Again, the, the excess, the reserve margin is, goes way down. And also, it, it's, it, it's, it's occurring across the whole commodity landscape. You know, whether it's, you know, it's agriculture, it's, it's, it's copper, it's nickel, it's oil, it's, it's, I mean, right, maybe gas, there's still plenty of it, right? But on average, there's still just wait, we've really run down, we really run down the margin. All right, so I'm going to stop. And I want Shabam followed by Oil God to take that question. So, Shabam, the floor is yours. Yeah, I'm not sure I really followed the, the question, but you're right. There's a lot of commodities that are in uh, short supply. You're right. And that's going to affect demand um, for a lot of things because it's a supply chain issue. But the I keep coming back to the same point is that you can't invent these things out of thin air. So people are going to pay for them. Um, you know, if the, if the Western world doesn't want to pay for them, the... Um, emerging markets will. We see Indian oil demand is through the roof. It's 10% higher than 2019 already. So I think these governments are willing to do what it takes to get their economies running, to get them modernized. Um, and as far as supply chain issues uh, and supply squeezes, I, I honestly don't know. I think it's too early. Um, and I only track oil for the most part. Um, but you're right, there's a commodity squeeze in just about everything. And the other thing to that is all the easy stuff is gone. The easy oil is gone. The easy gas to explore is gone. The easy lithium, the easy iron, zinc, whatever it is, gold, et cetera, it's all gone. So people saying that high prices are going to cure it, well, yeah, to some extent, but you need you need way higher prices because there's exploration risk now. Um, when in the past, you could just go and drill a hole anywhere in the Middle East and find oil. Well, now that's not the case. So, um I can provide some examples, but but even Saudi Arabia is struggling now. Their new gas field, which they want to use for uh, generating electricity, they figure it's not even economic. So, you know, isn't that weird that the biggest, one of the biggest oil and natural gas producers, they're having to subsidize their own natural gas for it to be um, economic, which is uh, very strange. So how can some of these other countries compete, which don't have as good reserves, you know, the, the prolific reservoirs that the Middle East has? That's awesome. So, um, I don't know. But I'm going to come back to you in a second, Shabam. But Oil God and then Marcellus, did you want to weigh in on the question that was asked by Ill and I? Deep, if you want to, go for it. I'm going to ask George a question. Yeah. Marcellus, are you there? We, we can hear you. Go ahead. I just wanted to quickly touch on, and I'm not sure if this is going to answer the question or not, because it was just something that come up. Um, when Shabam was talking, I, I think a lot of people don't put enough emphasis on the fact that uh, the shale revolution in the United States sort of brought us to where we are right now. Um, it, you know, this this huge production expansion at half cycle economics really killed the capex on long cycle, low decline projects. Um, you know, it, it basically killed all the demand from these super majors that would normally want to spend, you know, long, long duration projects to 
you know, drill offshore, you know, basically, you know, conventional low decline, large, uh, large capex projects. Those, those, that half cycle shale really just crushed that capex. Um, and we're talking over like a seven year period. So that's just not going to come back. It's not going to magically re reappear overnight. And, I, there's really no answer to it other than time in my mind. Um, and shale will eventually have to decline. And I, I think Shabam would, would agree. And he's kind of made this point that I, I think shale is going to be on the backside here. We're, we're not going to see uh, continued growth in shale. And as they continue to move west into New Mexico, uh, the oil is getting gassier and lighter. So uh, it's just, just a point I wanted to make is, you know, basically that shale revolution that people thought kind of saved uh, oil in a sense, I think really in, in the big picture has kind of brought us into this energy uh, energy issue we have today. Mar- Mar- Marcellus, that's been a fabulous point. I really thank you for that. And it's, uh, that's awesome. And, 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 and it's just going to make the problem we're now confronted with that much worse. Oil guy, uh, your floor is yours. Oil guy. Yeah, thank you, George, and, and great points. Um, I just want to add two points, uh, and it's largely based on things that I hear as objections. One is, you know, people say, you know, they don't trust the numbers. You know, so many, you know, whether it's, you know, in the United States, people could be sandbagging numbers, bullshitting numbers, or quite frankly, people have what they call PTSD and just don't trust anything. And I mean, obviously, we see lots of that when you talk Canadian equity, to Shapam's point, with anybody, obviously, in Canada in the last, you know, decade or so. And so, one of the things I get them to visualize is that, you know, when you go to a restaurant today after COVID, what have you noticed? Menus are, are, are short, are, you know, what you call shrunken a little bit, right? The, the prices have gone up and the, and the amount of options you have have gone down because they've obviously got to control costs. So a restaurant would be a good business where it's next to impossible to kind of contingency plan a COVID because you're just kind of playing it by ear. Well, what the fuck did you think was going to happen in the oil markets if you had to keep a bunch of workers away from one another, right? And oil in, in that industry of energy extraction is one that when it turns on, it turns on for everybody all at once. But the equipment that they need and the labor that they need, you know, it, it's very specialized. And so it doesn't just kind of piece back together like a restaurant would. And so think of that time delay when you start thinking about really the realities of production and relying on past information of what nations had once done in the past, right? Or what they're going to pretend that they'll be able to ramp up because, you know, they will they maybe have David dementia for a while, right? The second objection I'm going to say, uh, you know, actually, let me think here. Yeah, the second objection is uh, with respect to George, I've dropped. I think I've lost a blank here. It's gonna, it's gonna have to come back to me. Um, yeah, I shouldn't have. Spent all right, so, all right. Oh, oh, oh God, hold, hold it there. Just you know, collect your thoughts. Shabam, are you still there, Shabam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you betcha. So, um, you know, I've listened to loads of your webinars, zooms, read a lot of your stuff on your website earlier in the evening um, before you came in the room. Uh, you know, I was calling you at for the great work that you've done and we were actually throwing some names around and normally I hesitate to mention individual names, but in your case, you've done, you've been very public about it and you're very transparent and it's up on your website. Um, and I urge everyone to go, you know, follow you on Twitter and also go to your uh, website. But I wanted to ask you right here, right now, so I usually don't do this, but in respect to the fact that prices have moved a lot, both the commodity prices have moved a lot, 
some of the equity prices have moved a lot. Um, I know you have your long-term convictions. You're not hanging on every little wiggle and jiggle. And it's very clear. I mean, again, anyone can just go look at your website. You've got, you know, you're in public about your positions and, you know, Surge and Meg and whatever. Um, could you just maybe just give an elevator pitch on, uh, I don't know, for an average person in the room, a stock that they want to look at? And, you know, don't make it too micro capish, but I don't know if you want to talk about Surge, you want to talk about, you know, Meg, you want to talk about Synobis, whatever. But for the average guy in the room who's maybe thinking, hey, you know what, this energy thing sounds okay. Maybe just mention a name or two that you might point them towards, if you feel comfortable. Yeah, sure, you betcha. Um, so again, it's not investment advice, but the two the two names I recently bought, um, I want to say the last two I've bought are uh, Meg Energy and Spartan Delta. So Meg Energy, 100,000 barrels, unhedged, 60-year reserve life. They've got the best technology out there. They've got the best oil, uh, SEG-D um, mine, if you will. It's not a mine, but the best SEG-D reservoir out there. Um, they've got $7 billion in tax pools, and they're paying no royalties this year. They're the pre-payout royalty. Uh, so it's not no royalties, but it's about 9 to 12%, somewhere in there, um, compared to some of the bigger names out there. Um, generating tons of free cash flow. Their share buyback should have started about a couple of weeks ago. Um, the other thing is there's there's certain companies out there, um, they have a certain owner that that has a big chunk, which could potentially be, be bought out as a block purchase. So that whole share buyback might occur all at once, which um, is kind of what Whitecap's doing. There's some other names doing this sort of stuff. So um, just keep an eye out for that with, with Meg Energy. And then um, Spartan Delta, I wrote a Seeking Alpha on it. So maybe I'll uh, say people check that out, but but lots of great stuff here. One of the best management teams out there, I think. Um, great acreage. They got natural gas liquids, natural gas and condensate, all three, which are just booming right now. Um, and then I'll throw Whitecap in there. I think Whitecap Resources, um, there's going to be a lot of European fund managers, a lot of people in U.S. and Canada that are right now, as we speak, meeting with their boss, and their boss is asking him, what, what's going on? Your, you know, your, your performance sucks. Like Q1, you barely beat the index, or you got absolutely thrashed if you're holding these uh, Kathy Woodstocks, as you say, and some of this other stuff. Um, and they're going to look at, okay, which sector performed the best in Q1? Well, it's not even close. Energy is probably the only one in the green, I want to say, um, along with metals maybe. And um, these fund managers, especially in Europe, they don't want their ESG rating to go down, so they buy Whitecap because it's a net zero producer. They they sequester more carbon than they, um, than they produce. So we've seen exceptional strength in Whitecap the last few days, and I think – um, Alex Dayhill brought up this idea. I I want to say to begin with, or one of one of the other people. So it's not my idea, but in Europe, I guess the fund managers have these ESG ratings that they have to keep up. So while there's only one name that's net zero um, in Canada, that's big enough, you know, five billion dollar plus name that these these people can get into, and that's Whitecap. So uh, fund flows matter. You know the the um, narrative and the fund flows and where the money's going and what people are talking about that that really does matter when people don't know the sector so right so is uh, it, um, you, you say you've got a good what you is a good write-up you put out on seeking alpha for white cap is that right uh, not for white cap but for spartan delta i got one and then uh may i've talked about okay. chat about it more
That's great. Thanks for that, Shabam. Oil God, uh, what was yeah, your thought? Yeah, George, I actually, yeah. I, I remembered the second objection. And it was, and I actually want to present it to both you and Shabam. So appreciate you coming back to me. It's with respect to the definition. And George, I want to start with you because of your experience. And, you know, obviously in only the last few decades since you came out of high school. Um, what is the definition to you of a crowded trade? Right? Because when we're hearing these trades, the amount of rooms that, or, you know, messages that I receive that say, oh, well, you're all talking the same thing. It's like a circle jerk, as they call it in France. Right? But really, what the hell is a, is a crowded trade? Because to me, Twitter, and let's just call it for what it is, 500 people to 1,000 people in the space, sometimes more. I mean, these people don't move the market, nor do they always believe everything that you say. And so, you know, crowded trade also connotes that it's a little bit long in the tooth. So I'd like to start with you with the question, based on what you're feeling and hearing, what the hell is a crowded trade vis-a-vis energy? And then I would also like to ask Shabam how he feels about that question as well. Right. So uh, that's an easy one. So I can answer it a bunch of different ways. So empirically, just look at price action. You know, as the saying goes, it's not the news, but your action to the news accounts. So let's say we're all along a certain stock. Let's say we're all along energy. And great news comes out. Let's say we're all in white cap, like, like Shabam was saying. We're all on white cap and all great news comes out and the stock doesn't go up. Well, it may be because it's already discounted, maybe because everybody owns it before, right? So one is looking at price action. But more importantly, the better answer to your question is these Twitter spaces are not representative of the investment body writ large. I affectionately would say to my uh, fellow Canadian energy mafia brethren, you guys are lunatics. You're nut jobs. You're on the periphery. You're financial perverts. You're lepers. You're not part of the mainstream. You're not allowed to speak and play company. Um, so, yeah, you may say, you know, okay. You, know, you got to be careful, too, because, you know, heretofore, the only ones buying has been you guys and, and, and your friends, your extended family. Now that universe of people is growing. So if before, you know, only 10% of the inv- potential investors would even look at energy, I'm just making up an example because I think it's been left for dead and there's ESG and blah, 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 blah. Well, now price is going up. And as Helene Meisler always says, sentiment follows price. Everyone to a certain extent, some momentum buyer. Let's never, let's not forget that. I mean, everyone says buy low and sell, sell high. That's actually not true. You want to buy high and sell higher or put it this way. You don't want to catch the falling knife. You want to see that someone else is, is buying it, not just you. And so, yeah, of course, the momentum's picked up. A lot of the prices have moved over the course of the last year since you guys were first getting into this stuff. Nobody timed it right. You know, no one got it exactly at the bottom in, in, the, in the second quarter of 2020. Um, you know, you got to have a longer-term perspective. But I would just say that you know, energy, if you were in this room earlier and you listened to John Roke talking about what it's like at you know, with, with high-level buy-side clients and whatnot. You know, if you're a, a mainstream fund manager, you're still worried twice as much about your Apple position than the, the entire energy thing. I mean, Apple's at 7% of the S&P. Energy's, I think, 3.9 or some number like that. It's roughly double. So what's far more important has been whether you get your Apple call right. And so I would say... Um, this is by no means a crowded trade. Um, it's, 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 
it's just the beginning. We're in the awakening. And I, I know you're a Canadian, but you, I think you probably know baseball well enough. You know, whether we're in the second inning, third inning, fourth inning, I don't know, something like that. I mean, we got a long way to go, a long way to go. So by no means, the people say it's a crowded trade. You know, and I'm sure you come across this, oh, God. I love, it's, it's funny. I had a conversation. I'm going to protect the innocent. I'm going to keep it anonymous. So I was having a conversation a month or two ago with one of these sort of New York, Midtown, Manhattan-based FANG investors. And he did really well for a long time. You know, he was shitting on energy two years ago. He was shitting on a year ago. He's shitting on it again when I'm talking to him. Oh, the only reason oil prices up is because of Russia. You know, oh, you know, every time it goes up like this, it always goes down. We're going to get a recession. I mean, all these sort of hackneyed, tired, frankly, uh, ignorant answers. Like, for God's sake, if you want to, like, give a good pushback, you know, do some fucking work. These people, so I would just say to you, I'm ranting now, as, as, I, as I want to do and as you like me to hear, fuck no, we're just the beginning of this. And so people say it's a crowded trade. Anyone looking at the data positioning wouldn't say that. Anyone saying that, I suspect it's someone who doesn't have the position on, who hates it. And, and, you know, it's always a cheap shot. Oh, you know, you, you, you could be pitching Shopify as a short to me. I'll just change it. Oh, everyone knows it's a short. Oh, God. Yeah, that's not news. I, I, I read about that on Wall Street Bets. Well, like, dude, if it's on fucking 15 times revenues and the chart's broken and growth is decelerating, it's a fucking short. Don't give me. So people like to talk that way. So the idea that oil is a crowded trade, like, I, I suggest that person um, calls 911 and goes to their nearest nearest hospital to seek uh, uh, men, mental health resources. I hope that answers the question. Oh, God, you got to unmute yourself. I, I'm waiting for your retort. Sorry, George, I missed that last part. What was it? No, I, I was just saying anyone who thinks it's a crowded trade should seek, should go to their nearest hospital and seek the appropriate mental health resources. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big supporter of mental health, so I support that. <laughs> Marcellus, it's up to you. Go on, man. Yeah, listen, if if it was a crowded trade, we wouldn't be able to buy these things at, you know, under four times multiples. I mean, there, there's still names we're buying at three times and two times, uh, you know, free, free cash on an enterprise uh, value at the end of 22. So I just, every time I see somebody say it's a crowded trade, I, I just, I have to chuckle because... If it was a crowded trade, these things would all be, you know, trading at six to eight times multiples, and, and then we would be selling. But that's just simply not the case. Hundred percent. Hey, Marcellus, I can't remember because we're going to shut this down room before long. But I don't recall if early when I asked for some names. I mean, did you throw a name or two in the ring that you think is interesting, or did you not talk names? I, I didn't at the time. Um, you know, both of what both of the names that Shabam brought up. Uh, definitely would have been ones I would have mentioned. Um, I know Shabam's talked about Vermilion ad nauseum, and, and again, that's another one that's, if, uh, you know, unless you're going to, you think somehow magically Europe is going to resolve this natural gas situation that they're in, um, which I clearly do not see that coming anytime soon. I think it's, if you want natural gas exposure in, in Europe, you, you have to own it. Um, and it's on, on European uh, gas strip, it's just very, very, very cheap. 
Um, Is it, you're referring to Vermillion now? Which one are you referring to? I'm sorry. Yes. 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 Okay. All right. B-E-T, Victor Edward Thomas. Right. Right. Um, and, and, by, and by the way, either for you or Shabam, maybe it's more Shabam. I know Shabam, you've been a big proponent of surge energy. Um, you still like it, and what's the sort of elevator pitch on that, Shabam or or, Marcel, or Marcellus or Olgad? Well, for surge, um, you know they they have a lot of uh, a lot of hedges that are rolling off here over the summer, and when those hedges come off, their free cash flow is just going to skyrocket. So uh, I'm I'm very bullish on surge, also just like Shabam is in. There's another one, uh, Obsidian, OBE, which actually does have a, an NYSE listing under OBE. Um, that's another one I, I really like. I think it's uh, undervalued. It's, it's had a little bit of a run the last couple of days, but um, uh, it's got a, a nice land position. It's, it's in a very, very economic play in the clear water, um, and uh, I think it's, uh, it's one to keep an eye on. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, we're coming up on three hours. I'm just looking here. Um, oh, so before we go any further, just hang on for one second. I just want to announce, uh, let me just take a real quick look here. Um, you guys have killed it. I can't thank you enough. A big round of applause. We're up to 29760 So I think we've raised, uh, since the challenge went out, we've raised uh, over $5,500. So it was like thirty six hundred, thirty seven hundred, and plus the the master two thousand. If anyone wants to help put us over thirty thousand dollars cumulatively, that'd be awesome. Um, that would mean I think we would have raised nine thousand dollars in total um, this evening, which is great for um, you know, which is absolutely fabulous. I mean, again, this couldn't go for a better cause. So please, again, you just listen to you know Shabam Marcellus. It just goes on and on and on. And I want to tell you something. You know, I'm learning a lot in this room, boys and girls. Don't you think I know everything? Don't think I know everything. I mean, I don't. So this is great for me as well. And I, I can't, I, I just think this is the finest content anywhere, period. End of story. Um, all right. So uh, I don't know if Guy Sarandula wanted to say anything else. If not, Guy, if you have a question or a statement, that's it. Otherwise, I'm going to go to um, Carpathia. I'll give him the last say. Um, so, uh, Guy. If you got a question, no question, not hearing none, I'm going to go to Carpathia. Carpathia, welcome to the stage. What's up, my friend? Man, I always kind of come in here at the end, and I just want to say how honored I am to be listening to the Canadian Mafia and oil mafia. Can you guys hear me? I can't. We can hear you. We can hear you fine, Carpathia. Go for it. All right. Um, at the risk of uh, George, I want to correct a quote you said earlier. When they raid the whorehouse, they take the piano player, too. And uh, by the way, Carpathia, thank you. I knew I blew it. Thank you for the correction. No, I don't want to be, you know, but no, 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 no. I welcome that because I I like because the next time I tell the story, I want to get it straight. So that's what I thank you for. Go on. But, you know, I sit here and I listen to these things and it's energizing because we're all we're all trying to navigate this thing. And it, it really comes down to they've distorted the game. You know, the money's been distorted. So you hear these stories, you know, and I have a small client base and these people. I sent out a large email today saying, you know, you people really need to rethink your 60-40. We're up 8%. My RIA partnership is up, you know, 9 We got cash. We got energy. We got these things you guys love. And we water it down. And I didn't get one single response. 
there's like a mass psychosis going on. It's a behavioral side, you know, a finance, behavioral finance issue. And it's fascinating, except I think we're getting closer and closer to the reality. You know, these guys, the Canadian mafia, George, these, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't, I didn't write them down. They're talking reality, you know, you know, and people are having trouble with reality because they're detached from reality on the fact that money's been distorted for so long, you know, and that's the real issue here. And that's a hard explanation to give to somebody. You talk about these portfolio managers that have these billions and billions and they're making decisions, you know, they're, they're managing, you know, other people's money, and that's great. They're a fiduciary. In my little family office, if I screw up, we're screwed. So anyway, thank you so much. There's people that can do this. This is a great environment. It feels like a uh, kind of a really smart craps table. Anyway, thanks, George. Thank you, Carpathia, for everything you do. Um, this has been an absolutely phenomenal room. It was done ad hoc. Kathy made me do it. Um our next room, I suspect, will probably be on the weekend, probably on Saturday morning. Um, I haven't fixed that yet. But please mark your calendar. We're having Marty Fritzen, Credit Guru, next Thursday at, I think, 4.30 Eastern. I'm expecting to get this well-known Canadian energy manager on um, Monday, also at 4.30. That will be confirmed. Um, so, you know, it's 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 just the hits keep on coming. And, uh and I say this not to just, you know, blow smoke up your guys' backsides. I mean, this would not be possible without all of your contributions. I will just let you know what's going on in my head. You're going to see a lot more coming on from me. Um, we're probably going to go even more prime time with this. But considered, and please DM me if you have any thoughts. But I'm committed to keeping this kind of like it is in terms of it's, it's interactive. I love the audience participation. I don't want a polished, sanitized version in a studio. I like that it's raw, it's authentic. It's, we make mistakes, but it doesn't matter. I go nuts once in a while, keeps people in order. I know I can be kind of a hard ass in terms of the way I moderate, but it's for the benefit of the room. As you're all well aware, when all you, when your smart guy starts talking, I let you talk forever. If someone comes in with an inappropriate question or if you don't get question, but it's just not the right question for that time, I shut them off. I think we've created something really special here. And it's going to get bigger and bigger. And as I said before, we're, much, we're attracting more and more interest from research providers that want to come into this room. George, so, can I ask you a question? George, can I ask please. you a question? Not to cut yeah, you off. Go for it. Going to be yeah, go for it. It's going to be personal, but I hope you answer it. Hey, when you're off Twitter and you're in a restaurant with somebody who's not really on Twitter, if you know what I mean, have you to date mentioned the Canadian oil mafia to somebody who's not a part of the Twitter community? Just out of conversation? No. Why do you ask? Because I'm just optimistic for the future because I know you're going to start. Thanks yeah, for, but... Thank you for no, doing no, our no, work, I appreciate George. That. Appreciate you know where I thought you were going to go with this? This is crazy. I'm just another guy. Talk a lot, but just another guy. It was so funny. We did that thing about I don't know a month or two ago with Tommy Thorne. That was at that pizza place in Stanford, Connecticut, and I spilled the beer. And but, but oh god, yeah. Oh, I got to digress for one second. Can you explain something to me? It's an age thing. Like I don't get it. 
just because I see other people putting up their burgers or their pizza, whatever it is they're going to eat, they tweet this stuff out. They get like a million likes. So I'm like, I don't think it's very interesting, but what the hell? So I'm at this pizza joint, and Sally's Pizza has amongst the best pizza in the country. So I figured, all right, I'm going to tweet out a picture of the pizza. And I was amazed. Like, 100 people liked it. What is the fascination with food on Twitter? I don't understand. I mean, and then, and then, then you know, I tweeted out a thing about a corned beef sandwich the other day about how the price inflation was not transitory. People went nuts on it. Like, what is the fascination with food oil, God? Uh, well, I think I gave two responses. One of them is that it's the most relatable thing that all of us can do, right? I mean, we're all still convincing one another to get into oil stocks, but I'm sure between it, we all need a meal, right? So I'm going to go with that being the most obvious. But number two, George, let's admit it, right? It's a tough economy. You put food on there, you look rich. Somebody wants to slide into your DMs. George, I hear you like ex-girlfriends. You know how it goes. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll go to Rio, and then we're going to go to Marcel, and then we're going to close it. Rio, what's up? I just want to say with some of these oil companies in Canada, they were beaten up so bad and all kinds of losses. So when they were being acquired, those losses also flowed over. So they got those companies. I have to look at some of them. I want to look at the Sonovas purchase of Husky. I would be surprised if they bought that company for about half what it's worth because they got the losses, which they can use moving forward. Which I, I, people, you know, they just look at the losses, but they don't think about how they got them or how they acquired them. Yep. Appreciate Go that. Ahead. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Thanks for and that. In, yeah. Sorry. And the other thing is, I took a position in XME at the beginning of the year. Yep. And I've hardly looked at it. And it looks like I'm up about 30, 35%. And that not, just goes not, to. Yeah. Nothing but real. XME nothing. metals market. Exactly. And by the way, you. you know, you make a really interesting point. Real, let me ask you about this. You know, we should have you on here as a speaker sometime. But when you look, you made a really interesting point by XME and spent portfolio construction. Like you made a decision to put some money into, um, uh, you know, the metals complex or XME. You didn't, you didn't mess around like, you know, do I want to buy BHP? Do I want to buy Freeport? This, that, whatever. And so the more, most important thing is really the, 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 the asset uh, selection, the sector selection. And, and, and not so much getting caught up in the minutia of BHP is better than Anglo, which is better than Freeport. And, and, with, and with respect and love, I would say to everybody in the room, if you're thinking about Canadian oil stocks, oh, God, you're going to be like, dude, like, you don't have to talk anymore. Like, you probably your head's exploding because I'm, like, shilling for you, like, relentlessly. But it's like the bigger decision is whether you're in the pool or out of the pool. Like, don't drive yourself nuts. Do I buy Whitecap or do I buy Synovus or do I buy Meg? They're all going to go up. Some will go up more than others, but they're all going to go up. The bigger, the bigger, the problem, the decision you got to make is, do I sell my freaking tech stocks? That's the decision. Then it's easy. Because going back to real, he, he didn't bother like, all right, which is the best metal stock I'm going to buy? I'm just going to buy XME. And so real, maybe you could just for a second, I'm going to go to Sohave and Marcellus. Real, maybe you could talk just a little bit for you. Like, why did you buy the XME instead of like trying to pick a couple stocks? Real, please unmute yourself. Real, okay, yeah, I'm back. Every year on January 1, I put the spiders into a spreadsheet and I watch them all move. Everything is moving down. So I look at the spreadsheets today XLE is up 41%, XME is up 40%, XLU's. Eight and a half percent. XLP is sitting at three. 
GLD is at uh, 7%. Everything else is red. And it's, it's red by 10% or more. So it's not so much you're trying to figure out what's happening. You look at the trend, you spend a few minutes figuring things out. And, okay, I'm going to leg into metals. And I just kept on doing it. Just a mechanical process, watching the flow. And then it, it, it sort of comes to you that there's been no capital uh, capex in any of these things. And the supply chain is falling apart, and the prices are rising. And I and uh, it's just like a mechanical process that I do every year. And this year, I did like really well. And when you listen to somebody like Abe, who confirms what you're thinking, and actually tells you uh, that uh, iron and steel is going to go through the roof. It's not it's not hard to figure out and i got into i got into the oil stocks uh in uh, about mid to early but the second quarter first and second quarter of 20 uh 2021 and i went in the same way i legged my way in and i'm sitting here right now uh i'm up about 110 120 percent but i got a huge chunk of cash in there and it's six figures. I went all in. You're not supposed to do that, but I did. And, 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 and it's a real, I'm serious. I want to have you as a speaker in one of our coming up, one of our coming spaces, just talk about portfolio construction. But could you just speak to like, why did you buy the XME instead of just picking a couple of metal stocks yourself? It started. It started to move. It was the only thing that was kind of moving green when everything else was red. And the other thing is, I listened to this guy. His name is George Noble, and I put in uh, stops on everything that I had. And as they fell, I went to cash, and I just stayed in cash, and I stayed in cash, and I stayed in cash. Real, and, real, real. Yes. I'm gonna keep cry. talking. No, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> no, I tell you something. I tell you something. You're a real guy, as your name says. But I've gotten DMs from people back messaging saying, "Thanks for this, thanks for that." Like I can't force anybody to do anything. I can just try to present the truth as I see it. And when I get comments like that or from other people, that's just mm-hmm. that's just it doesn't get any better than that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Hey George. Yeah, it's Guy. Sorry. It's a, a quick question. Uh, no, quick, no, quick comment. So the Sonovas uh, comment we just had. Yeah. Yeah. The money flow work on that stock is phenomenal. Uh, this is one that I'm, I am personally long. And the bottom line is the base pattern that came out of, which is going back over five plus, a little over five years. The initial upside target is about 54% at, at 27. Then I have a target of 35. But my point is, Going back to what I said earlier, um, you know, with with PMs that have to try to outperform, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be sucking wind with the Amazons and Apples and whatever else. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to gravitate and put money into this other stuff, and it's gonna be a gradual input. They they can't be overweight uh, energy in a big way. They're, they're not going to be. It's it's gonna be a gradual. But for someone who's running ten billion and putting in, you know. You know, uh, I don't know, hundreds of millions. It's going to be a significant push up. Guy, so I think I think we're in the start of this is, guy, this is this is like guy, a two, guy, George. This is guy, like 
2005. Guy, guy. Yo. I'm gonna have people yell at me for doing this, but it's well, late at night. It's late at night. So I know, but it's just no. Here we have, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> no, what you're telling me, guy, is it'd be like we're working together. What you're telling me, an oil guy is gonna go nuts. I know. You're telling me this is gonna last a long time. Well, we're not, oh, we're not gonna we're not gonna be guilt. We're not gonna have a. How should I put this? Don't you hate? Oh God! Don't you hate when? You engage in premature speculation <laughs> and it doesn't last. Well, God, you know that problem? Okay. Yeah, George, George, I'm, I'm not. You want to let it, let it run. To be honest with you, George, I, I'm um, what we call very excited for a very long time. And it's, uh, you know, let's just say I have a lot. I'm master of my own domain, as they say. Master of my domain. <laughs> So, oil guy, you tell me yeah. you like the ever, ever ready bunny keeps on going and going. It's called the Energizer Bunny. It's called the Energizer, Energizer Bunny. Energizer. I, I'm sorry, George. It happened after the Civil War. <laughs> so, and it, George, it's gonna be it's gonna be a forced participation. You know, mock my words because the, you know, <laughs> guy, it, guy, we got hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. We got to get the quote here because I got to put this out. I got to. It's, it's forced. It's forced. Wait, I want to get anything. Forced participation, right? Exactly. It's, it's going to be forced participation, okay? Yep. That so, sounds too sexual. I'm uncomfortable. So oil well, God, oil God, oil God. Oil God, look, 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 look. It's, it's like you walk into a room. You want to dance with the pretty girls. Which one are you going to be forced to dance with? The prettiest one, right? So, this so, is the so, prettiest so, one in the room. It's the guy energy. With, so oil God, energy. what he's saying is... No, honest, I, I don't go towards them. They come towards me. So I don't know how it works, but I'll trust you on the... <laughs> <laughs> so what well, you're saying... So, so oil God, what he's saying is... It's going to be forced participation. Be forced to do it, and they're going to like it. Exactly. And then they're going to say, and then they're going to say, and they're going to say, "Please, sir." Anything. The left wingers. You're giving them all ammunition. And then it's going to be, "Please, sir, may please, sir, may have another." Exactly. Yeah. No. They're going to say, "Please, Shabam, give me another. I need another name." And then you know, you know when these, you know when this rally is going to be over. When your rooms, these rooms are going to, the Kano office is going to have thousands of people in the room, and people are going to be bragging about, you know, I own 30 stocks, 40 stocks, 50 stocks, okay? You know, wake me up when we get there. Until then, don't bother me with these silly questions. Exactly. All right. Uh, Marcellus, I think, had a question, in the, or Shabam. Marcellus, you got, you got one? Oh, we're going to close this thing. Marcellus? Not so much a question. I just wanted to make a, make a quick statement. Two things. Um, there's two people I just want to, um, give out to the group that I think are criminally underfollowed and they put out some incredible stuff uh, that are part of the com uh, Kramer karma. It's Kramer, just like, you know, the, the Seinfeld character and uh, rock Creek freak two guys that put, uh, I call Kramer karma, the human calculator. Uh, if you want, yeah, if both you want to of them are of... absolute must follows. They both fuck. They're awesome people. All right. Yeah. So hold on. So hold on. So Kramer karma is, is the karma with a K. Yes. So Kramer Karma, the other one's Rock Creek Freak. Rock Creek Freak. Rock Creek Freak is uh, a big time. He's he's in the field. He knows the rock. He knows the geology and uh, and a large portion of. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So, okay. So for the average guy in the room who doesn't know K-Roll stocks, you got those two guys. You got another. We got anybody else? Well, I mean, everybody who's in here, obviously, you know, Shabam, without yeah. without question, everybody in here. But those right, okay, guys okay. That don't don't go on the spaces a whole lot, but they put out some great stuff. All right, so if we if if, if 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 one were to follow the names you just mentioned, plus the guys in the room, like that should get you like ninety percent of the way there in terms of if you want to follow Canadian Energy. That's going to get you a long ways. I just I see Rock Creek is actually in here now, and yeah, this, this, everybody you see in here and those two guys, 
Um, just that, that's going to well, get. Maybe, all right, listen, we're running on borrowed time. We're going to go into overtime. If Rock Creek wants to raise his hand and come up here and say hello and whatever, it'd be very grateful. I mean, we're not going to go much longer, but if he wants to say something, you know, certainly. Uh, so in the meantime, if Rock Creek doesn't come up, and this is, Sohabe is going to have the last word. So Sohabe, my friend, how are you doing? Please unmute uh, yourself. Yeah, not, not too bad. It's been a while. Um, nice to hear from you, George. Uh, I, I, we sent out the packages. About half of them have been delivered. Have you received anything? Uh, uh, yeah, you weren't in the room earlier. So I, I thanked your colleagues on, on, on your behalf. Yes, it finally came. I know, talk about supply chain. It took like weeks, but yes. And by the way, forever. By the oh, way, well, by glad. way just, so, just so you know, just so you know, you will see I have a new picture up. But Oil God has ordered me. He's 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 going to be forced participation. I have to put on my calm gear, and I need to change my picture on Twitter with the calm with the calm swag on. So that so I can credit or blame you guys for that. So thank you, Sohaib. Yes, the stuff did come. Wonderful. All the best, George. Take care. No, no worries. All right. So with that, let me just check one thing before we go. This has been a phenomenal room, especially thinking how you know we started this thing and it was all ad hoc. But this has been an unbelievable room. We've got so many great uh, contributors in here. Um, I'm going to make one last request. Um, as I said, the matching um, uh, the match came through. We're now up to 29760 so we've raised about, I don't know, 8700 bucks tonight. It would be nice to go out over 30000 If anyone wants to help that, no problem. This is a marathon, not a sprint. But we're 29760 so the people in Ukraine are winning. Everyone's winning. Um you know, we're all helping each other. And I will be, just so you know, um, John Roke, he taught the class at Georgetown yesterday that I taught last week. So I would expect that the recording of his class will be up. Uh, if he doesn't tweet it out, I'll tweet it out. It'll be up on the Georgetown website by Friday. And then preview of coming attractions, um, I'm giving the keynote speech with John Roke for the uh, CMT Certified Market Technicians uh, Conference on uh, uh, April 28 in Washington, D.C. I think it's like at 4 o'clock. So you're going to see a lot more stuff coming. We're going to make this better and better and better, um, really helping each other, helping the people of Ukraine. I really hope we can make this a really powerful philanthropic endeavor. We'll figure out a way one way or the other. All right, so if anyone wants to get us over 30000 that's great. Otherwise, I want to thank all of you. It's been phenomenal. Again, I expect the next room will probably be on Saturday. Um, and with that, I bid you all good night. Take care, guys. Good night.